get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. They had uh, they had some momentum in that period and right to in the last couple of minutes and um, you know like I said we found a way and it was big going into the third period with the lead um, you know just to keep it simple and, and play our game and uh, be there for each other so yeah it was big. How about that man? I don't know about you, Alex Ferrario. I'm assuming you probably weren't super excited last night. I didn't get a hundred texts about how this team is the most dominant NHL team in the history of hockey. Must not have been reading my Twitter account that entire hockey game then. After the first period, I'm pretty sure I, I can't I can't confirm or deny this. I am pretty sure Alex Ferrario drove to Illinois to put in a bet on the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook app. To make sure that he had some money on the Blues as your next Stanley Cup winner. Hell yeah. Why wouldn't I put money on that team? I texted you that, BK. I know you did. Plus 2,000. And NBC Sports kept flashing it on the screen. Oh, well, the Blues are plus 2,000 to win the Stanley Cup in Vegas right now. Where, by the way, Boston is still ahead of them. Come on now. Let's be honest here. But as soon as they went out there and they went down by a goal, and I'm in here, I saw the goal. I'm like, okay, here we go. Power play goal. It's about to get ugly. Then Oscar Sundquist goes out there and just bam, ties things up. Four minutes later, boom, taking the lead. At that point, BK, I said, you know what? You and I, let's throw $100 down right now. I'm down. Because I'm this actually team's, more than happy to do so. This team's about to win the Stanley Cup. I, we will get into this more later on. I'm ready to get in on the ground floor for this team. I feel like we are... I think there's an edge here. And all of our listeners should get involved with us as well. Download that FanDuel app, the Paradise Sportsbook, and make sure that you use the promo code 101. We'll all get in on this. It'll be a very successful, profitable yeah. venture for us. I thought the second period was actually the most telling from the game last night. The first period was their best period. That was when they looked at their peak, right? That was when Robert Thomas had one of the best plays that we'll see all season. The offense absolutely dominated in five on five. They had nine scoring chances. The avalanche had zero scoring chances. They had three high danger chances. The abs had zero 12 shots for the blues, three for the abs. Awesome period. The second period wasn't so awesome for the Blues. They clearly, it it seemed to me, at least looking from afar, like the altitude was bothering them. And they weren't flying around the same way they were in the first period. So five on five, seven scoring chances for Colorado in the second period, four for the Blues. 
Four high danger chances for the Avalanche, zero for the Blues. 11 shots for the Avs, five for the Blues. And you know who stepped up in that period? It was Jordan Bennington. Ding! On the night, 27 saves on 28 shots looked like himself again. He looked right. And we talked about this yesterday. We were talking about what needs to happen for this team to win the cup. That needs to happen. You don't need Jordan Biddington to stand on his head for three periods every night. He can't be asked to do that. He shouldn't be asked to do that. But if you've got one, if you've got one 20 minute instance where he's got to, he's got to make some plays to keep you in the game. He's got to be able to do that. And last night he did. And I thought that was the single biggest thing to come from that game last night. We'll get into the offense. We'll get into the young kids. There's a lot that came out of that game. But the most important thing for the rest of the regular season was Jordan Bennington looking like himself. I agree 100% BK. And look, uh, I understand it's it's one game into the season. That's what people are going to come at us with. Yes, it is. But this is carried over from training camp. If he didn't have a noticeable training camp in those two scrimmage games where it's like, oh, he was okay, then I would be, okay, that was a flash in the pan. But this was carried over from what he did. This is, he was backing up what has been told to us that Bennington did in the offseason of being in Toronto and working really hard with his training staff and then working in St. Louis with uh, David Alexander on the ice. Kevin Weeks told us this. He went out there and performed. The first period, he wasn't peppered with shots. He really didn't see a lot of high-danger scoring opportunities because the offense was so good. He saw zero. But that second period, what you just mentioned, he saw wave after wave after wave. It was like 15 shots, I think, from Colorado, and four of those came on the power play. He slammed the door on everything. And it wasn't just him making the saves. It was the rebound control. Because in the bubble, if you remember, he was making saves, but he was leaving juicy rebounds for that second opportunities that people would bury in the back of the net. He didn't do that last night. Watch it. He made sure that he was pushing things to the corner. He made sure that he would stop plays when things got bad for the Blues. And I said this to you a couple days ago. Bennington's going to be as good as his defense is in front of him. The defense made sure that Bennington could see everything, and they did, and he did. And that's why I still think it's a joke that people put him as the 13th best goaltender right now. I think now. it was fair coming into the season. If he plays like that, though, things are going to change. Yep. If he plays like that moving forward, then suddenly you're not going to see him in that 12 to 15 range. He's going to be considered to be a top 10 goalie in the NHL. It's one game. Let's keep everything in perspective. It is one game. And specifically it was one period that we were able to see him play at that high level, but it was really encouraging. And you have every reason to be excited about what you saw last night from Jordan Bennington. He was not alone. The young guys also stepped up in a big, big way for Ario. And let's hear from Joey Vitale, who was talking about one of those young guys going out of, I believe it was after the first period. Here's Joey Vitale talking about the one and only Jordan Cairo. Of course, Jordan Cairo, who we were raving about, and this head coach has been raving about, gives a great opportunity to start on this third line, which was the best line in camp. And you see it so often, Curbs. The confidence of a line, I know it's only camp, but that confidence is a real thing, and that carried over into this first game. Jordan Cairo is playing like a whole new player like I've never seen before. He's playing with speed. He's playing with grit, taking care of the pucks, and what an incredible finish and a great start for the young man. Let's have a little bit of a crap sandwich here, but I'm going to start with the bad and end with the good, okay? Okay. So Start with the bad. He did have a bad turnover that ultimately led to the avalanche goal. Okay. Who doesn't, right? that, that That was the bad. Okay. Now, there's a lot more good that far outweighed the bad, though. The good, he had the goal. 
which was awesome. He looked great on that. I think Craig Berube, though, is far more happy about the defensive plays that led to his goal than he was the goal itself. He had two straight defensive plays. It was a weird crap sandwich. You went bad, good, then better. Yeah. It's a weird crap I'm sandwich. Just, I'm getting the bad out of the way okay. in the beginning, okay. and then we'll get to the good here. So the goal was awesome, but I think Craig Berube, if you asked him after the game and you had a moment of truth from him, I think he would tell you, we know he can score. We know he's got the ability to put the puck in the net. That's why he's getting so many chances to be able to show what he can do on the ice. It's the defensive game. Mm-hmm. It's it's the full, full ice. It's that game that he's needed to really develop over the years, and he showed it last night. He had one play that was through transition where he stole the puck from the avalanche, and then on the very next possession, once again on the four check, he was able to take the puck away, and it led to his goal. He was able to dish it off to Bozak, and then he gets it back, and then boom, puts it in the net. Those are the types of plays that we want to see from him that will show the growth. Mm -hmm. And we saw it last night. And if he continues doing that, he's going to stay in that top nine at the very minimum, potentially even seeing a few opportunities in that top six. And don't overlook the impact of a Tyler Bozak. That's why Craig Berube put him there, because he wants him to work with an established veteran who knows how to play. But it comes down to confidence. It comes down to being able to play responsible and confident in your own zone. And Kairou did that. You mentioned it, the defensive plays. But it was also the plays in their own zone, because there was a couple of times where Colorado was starting to build a rush. Kairou came back and broke up the play, and the next thing you know, he's up the ice. Like, that that's what Kairou can do, and his speed gives him the opportunity to do that. Danny Mack mentioned it on the crossover with me. Kairou's speed right now, it's untouchable. You could see how exhausted Colorado is playing with him because you're playing catch-up hockey, and him and Thomas on a line together, I know it's not going to stay that way, and look, they were only out there a couple of times where it was kind of a cross-shift, but that's a dynamic duo that could cause some problems too because Thomas's playmaking ability showed last night, but with Kairou's speed, you're going to catch Colorado off of their game. And I think when we talk identity, BK, this is that shift in identity that the Blues were going for. They're going to play heavy. They're going to play physical still. But what they have now is speed, and they haven't had that in the past. You have the the ability now to get out of your own zone as quick as possible with Krug and Falk, who I thought played a very strong game last night. But then you got Kairou, who by the time you hit the neutral zone, this guy's a rocket all the way into offense. So Kairou, I thought, was the second best player on the ice last night, right behind Jordan Bennington. And it shows him getting his first goal in his first game. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line from the 636. Guys, that crap sandwich was open face. No top bun. Well done, sir. Yeah. Second of all, from the 636. BK is Mr. Negative. Cardinals first, now the Blues, but the Chiefs are perfect. Come on, man. What are you talking about? I am and he loves Tom ex- Brady. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> I am very excited about what we saw last night. And I think Jordan Cairo, like, we do have to mention the negative while also talking about the positive, but right? We don't. I mean, <laughs> you do. He had, there was one play that yep. was the type of play that we saw more frequently mm-hmm. in the past. And the fact that I can mention it as a one-off for him last night is showing his growth. And you know what the difference is, BK? You're mentioning that and not mentioning how we didn't see him the rest of the night. Absolutely. Because that was last season. He made a mistake. He was on the pine for the rest of the game. Meanwhile, last night, he made up for it. He made that mistake, and then he caused mistakes by the avalanche. He then made up for it multiple times over, and suddenly he's rewarded by putting the puck in the net. That is what needs to happen for this team. They need him to be able to play both ways. They need him to be conscious defensively while also giving them his ability offensively. And we saw that last night. 
If he's able to do that moving forward, that is one of the biggest developments that this team can have for the future. Because if Jordan Cairo can develop into a legit top six forward, mm-hmm. it opens up some things moving forward for this team going into the offseason. It allows them to potentially bring back Schwartz or Hoffman because now you've got a guy that's cost controlled, that's young, that's cheap, that allows you to play up in that top six. He changes some things for this team. We'll get more into what Robert Thomas does for them as well as we go along today because, man, did he look awesome last night. We've got to give some props to Sonny as well. The young guys were getting things done. Everybody stepped up with Mike Hoffman not being in the lineup. We'll get into plenty more on the Blues with Joey Vitale coming up at 12.15. Bruce Boudreaux, the former NHL coach, is going to join us at 1.30. A lot to get into with you guys as well. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. It is 11.13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next... Let's get into those Yadier Molina comments because he was on with Polo, Cardinals uh, Spanish broadcaster, the other day. Sounds like there's going to be an interview that will post with him later today, later on this afternoon. You're going to want to hear what he had to say about in that interview about his free agency. Tell you what it is. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I think giving a two-year deal to a catcher that's pushing 40 looks like uh, the wrong move. Uh, on paper, it seems like the wrong move to a to a front office that's trying to be cutting edge and with the times. So because of COVID, this gives them that opportunity. It gives them the excuse. It just does. It gives them the excuse to move on. And we'll see if they take it. That was Greg Amsinger on with the morning show earlier today, talking about Yadier Molina and his contract with the Cardinals. And man, the longer we go, the less and less it sounds like this is an inevitability. Is the fuzziness going away, BK? It kind of is. I thought for sure this was going to be done by now. And then you see these comments from Yadier Molina in an interview with Cardinal Spanish broadcaster Polo set to run later today, coming up at noon St. Louis time on La Vida Baseball's Facebook page. Uh, Yadier Molina reportedly said, quote, if God wants me to come back, then I will come back. And if not, I will retire happy with my head held high. He said so in Spanish, but that is the rough translation for it. That doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies on two things. One, that he has been offered anything significant from the Cardinals. And two, that he has been offered anything significant, period. Like full stop from anybody in baseball. When you hear comments like this, it is a... A public acknowledgement that the market has not developed for him in the way that he had expected it to, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what's the point of him coming out and saying something like this? I'm I'm taken aback by it. I am surprised by it. I thought that there would be somebody that would enter the fray and that would offer him something that he deemed at least worthy, even if it's not what he was necessarily expecting. Maybe it's a one-year $10 million deal instead of a two-year $20 million deal that he's reportedly looking for. Man, this does not sound like he is even close to getting what he's looking for. What did you make of these comments? You know, one, it did surprise me because it sounds like it's either it sounds like retirement is more likely for Yachty. And I did not expect to hear that. I did expect to see somebody say, you know what? We need Yachty. We'll bring him on for uh, the, the tail end of his career. 
but it all comes down to what he's demanding. If if he truly is saying, I want a two-year contract and, it, and isn't willing to go a one-year contract, and he's okay with that and going off into the sunset, well, then I don't know if teams are going to bite on that because a lot of teams right now, BK, you know, if you're not the Dodgers or the Padres or the Mets, you're looking at cheap, but you're also looking at how do we get to the next set of players, the next young core of guys, right? You're transitioning. And a lot of teams aren't going to be willing to say, ah, we'll give Yachty a two-year deal for $10 million each year and we'll wait to get to these prospects. I think they want to know what they have now while you're in this pandemic where you have the excuse of the finance side of things. And that's why you're not seeing the Cardinals bite on this because, yes, they want Yachty back. But it doesn't make sense for the franchise moving forward, at least from what I'm understanding on the Cardinal side. I don't agree with this. But it doesn't make sense to bring Yachty back for two years and have him play 140 games and not find out what Andrew Kisner is. So, yes, I am surprised that we're really talking about retirement for Yachty. But I'm also not surprised that we're not seeing this get done because if he's demanding a two-year deal... I don't know if teams are willing to bite on that fish. Yeah, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 636. This has been my thought all along. He values himself way too high. His pride will not allow him to take what the market value is for a player like him. If that is the case, bye-bye. I still don't think he's retiring. I want to make this very clear. I would be absolutely stunned, absolutely stunned, if Yadier Molina is not playing baseball in the major leagues next year. I think he... We see it all the time. If you follow him on Instagram, you see what he's doing all offseason. This off dude's season. doing like 100 pull-ups a day. And he's he's running like six miles a day. Yeah. It's insane what he's doing. This Yadier Molina still believes that he can play at a really high level. And we saw it. He can still play at a really high level. So I would be stunned if he decides to actually retire. I think this is a negotiation ploy. I do think it reeks a little bit of desperation, though. I think this shows where he's at in his negotiations with both the Cardinals and elsewhere. I think it shows you that the offers aren't coming. He's frustrated by it. And this is him trying to put a little bit of public pressure on the Cardinals. Now, I do wonder if it's backfiring. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Because when Cardinals fans hear this, I think Yachty's belief is Cardinals fans will hear this and it will put pressure on the front office to make them get a deal done with him. Yeah. I think when a lot of Cardinals fans hear it, though, the response is pretty similar. Not this is not unanimous, but I think a lot of the responses will be similar to what we just saw from that text. If he views himself as having to uh, take a value that is higher than what his market value is, then bye bye. I think that is the majority response to something like this right now. So I don't know that the public sentiment is as much behind Yachty as you would like to believe that it is right now. I think if if we're I do agree with that. I don't know if the public is all the we need Yachty or Molina back because I think everyone is looking at this as a transition year and they want to know what some of these guys are. But I do believe that if the Cardinals are going to bring him back and if there's a team that's at the forefront, it is St. Louis. But I have that percentage very low that that happens There has to be a legit conversation, and this is the part that I feel like why it won't get done, because Yachty is high on himself. If the Cardinals are bringing Yachty back and they're going to pay him money, it's going to be one, money that makes sense for the franchise, which is not going to be a $10 million deal, but two, it's Yachty. You're going to have to accept the fact that you're going to be playing around 100 games or less this season because we have to find out what else we have. And 
then it comes down to weighing the options. And this is why I'm intrigued to listen to this interview with Polo, or at least hear him. I think he's on the Carriker and Smallman show tomorrow morning. Well, it's in Spanish, so I... Well, I speak a little I will, Spanish. I mean, you know. I will at least uh, see the translation. Look, say that much. look, I know how to ask where the bathroom is. It's about That's it. Fair. And Polo understands that. But look, I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm interested to find out what happens in that interview because... Does Yachty view himself as, look, I'm playing 140 games because I'm in the best shape of my life and I want to make that Hall of Fame case? Or does he say, you know what, I'm not coming back for 80 games and I'm going to move on and walk off into the sunset? I don't know if that's true, but I also don't know if it's going to be a match made in heaven with St. Louis. I, If you want to look at the silver lining here, if you're a Cardinals fan that wants Yachty back, I do think there is a bit of a silver lining here. The fact that he is publicly saying this tells me, again, there are no offers coming in from elsewhere. We do know there was an offer made by the Cardinals. We know this because it was reportedly, quote, ridiculous. Um, It was probably at the beginning of the season or the offseason, too. It was. It sounds that way. So, yes, I understand that it was a, quote, unquote, ridiculous offer, according to Yachty's side of things. But it was still an offer. It was something that was put out there. There have been exactly zero reported offers that we know about from elsewhere. Now, that does not mean that there have been zero offers, but they have not been reported upon. So I do think when all is said and done here, I think there's a good chance that the Cardinals are the last team left standing interested in Yadier Molina's services. The other thing is there's just a lot of other teams that are looking at other options right now. JT Real Muto is a better option than Yadier Molina at this point in his career because yep. there's longer the lifespan of his career is just longer and teams value offense right now Wilson Contreras is a trade option out there that is a better player for now and the future than Yadier Molina is at this point in their careers and so there are teams that are prioritizing both of those options ahead of Yadi. the Mets already prioritized James McCann over Yadi. there's only so many teams that need a catcher this offseason. There's only so many teams, even more importantly, that need a catcher that are willing to pay him five plus million dollars and that are willing to play him 120 plus games going into next season. Mm-hmm. I think the Cardinals are going to be his last option. And I think it really will may come down to Yachty, what do you prefer? You want to play here for five million dollars on a one year deal and we'll talk about it again after this upcoming season, or do you want to retire? And I think Yachty when presented those two options is going to take playing for the Cardinals for less than what he was expecting and only one year instead of two. I think, I think the Cardinals, you can give them crap all you want and they deserve it. Sometimes I think the Cardinals are going to be proven correct here in the way that they went about this, allowing him to go to the market, find out what his true market value is. They, he comes back to them and they say, okay, Yachty, what'd you find out? Mm -hmm. And he says, okay, what'd you say you had? I know I said it was ridiculous last time. I'll go ahead and take that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's where we are. I think I think we are getting very close to the point of him having to come back to them and accept what they offered, even if it is less than what he ultimately wanted. Yeah, I just I, I think you're at the point now, BK, where Cardinals fans you have to come to terms with it, and I do think a majority of people are on that that wagon of okay, let's see what this transition is, but. I'm just I still don't have the warm and fuzzies that this gets done with the Cardinals. I feel like once we're at this point, they're ready to move on and ready to start looking at As the of youth. today, you think he's gone. Yeah, I do. And I'm the other way. I, I think he's I think he's back. I'm surprised that these comments came out. I didn't think we would get to this point this quickly. I, I know it's not fast. It's mm-hmm. it's mid January, but 
I thought it would have to take until February or closer to March, like where you're getting close to spring training officially opening up right. before we would start hearing stuff like this from his side. I'm surprised that happened this fast, but um, that I, I do think that he's ulti- I, I think he's going to be back because of this. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the, the lack of a market that has developed is going to push him back to St. Louis. Let's ask Buster Olney about this baseball insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. What has he seen? From the market for Yadier Molina, does he believe that Yadi will be back here in St. Louis? Plus, I want to ask Buster about Trevor Story's market, whether or not he expects him to be traded. And I want to ask Buster about Andrew Benintendi, who very well may be on the move in the near future and whether or not he fits here in St. Louis. All of that with Buster Olney of ESPN next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy to be joined via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, one of the best baseball analysts, baseball insiders in the business. He is Buster Olney of ESPN and ESPN.com. Buster, we always appreciate the time, my friend. How you doing today? I'm hanging in there. Excited now that it uh, looks like spring training is going to happen on time. So uh, that that's, that's the best news of the week. Let's start with that, Buster. Uh, what can you tell us about the scheduling side of things? Do you think this is uh, as good as done? Do you, do you think we are actually going to report for camp on time and we're going to play 162 this year? I, well, 162 is, is, is a separate question. I, I think that MLB, look, there's no question that there are owners who feel like that uh, without a guarantee of fans in the stands, you know, that, they're, again, their revenue is going to be reduced this year. And so they're concerned, and I think they would like salary adjustments from the union. But the problem is for Major League Baseball is that it's hard to make a case to hold off the start of the sport when you've already demonstrated, the players have demonstrated, you know, the great discipline to get through a 60-game season, the postseason 2020, and the NFL has played, and the NBA has played. So it's tough for the owners to, you know, to, to basically claim, look, we can't get started on time, which is why I think this week when that, uh, that memo went out to teams that spring training is going to happen on time, the clubs I've spoken with, they're like, well, here we go. It's all very serious. They're talking about packing up the trucks, getting ready for spring training. Now, once they get to camp, um, you know, you guys have seen the coronavirus numbers in Arizona are ugly. Um, You don't know if there might be a shutdown, but you would assume that between the discipline the players have demonstrated in the past and the fact that, you know, there would be players getting vaccines probably uh, through the next months ahead, that they'll be able to figure out a way to get through. Whether or not there's a fans in the stands, though, is a completely separate question. So with that being said, Buster, and fans in St. Louis, you know this, are sitting on pins and needles to find out what the front office is going to do for this roster change for the upcoming season. Knowing that spring training seems like it's going to be on time, is that going to start forcing the hand of some of these general managers, specifically the Cardinals, of finding the right roster move to get ready for the season? I do think there's going to be a rash of moves in the next 10 days based on my conversations with teams and with agents uh, where the feeling is, is that, look, once you get through the arbitration process in the next couple days, the teams will begin to focus on upgrading their rosters. Now, that doesn't mean that the big names, you know, the, the Trevor Bowers are going to come off the board right away. They may be waiting the same way we saw with Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, but a lot of those, you know, the, the bottom tier free agents, the second uh, 
uh, the second lowest tier of free agents. I think in the next week you're going to see a ton of players sign, you know, the minor league split contracts, uh, you know, th- that sort of thing, because the players need to get on with their lives. The teams need to start planning in earnest for the start of the season, and they're going to want some of these guys in camp. So I do think there's going to be a burst of agreements coming up. That's all right, Buster. We're not worried about that top free agent market anyways. That, that is not the market that no. the Cardinals appear to be shopping in. Uh, I did want to ask you, there were some comments that were posted earlier today from Yadier Molina in an interview yeah. that is apparently going to be posted later on this afternoon with Cardinals broadcaster Polo Asensio. Um, and Yadi basically said, to summarize, and this is a translation of what he said in Spanish, if God wants me to come back, then I'll come back. And if not, I will retire happy with my head held high. My read on this, uh, Buster, is basically it, it doesn't sound to me like Yachty has the offers that he was hoping for yet. Now, that could change at any point in time. But as of now, based on those comments, that's kind of my read on the situation. What have you heard and where do you think Yachty's market is right now? Well, I think his market is in St. Louis. I think that uh, there's no question that the biggest he, – he represents more – he has more value to the Cardinals than any other franchise. And I, I wrote a couple of weeks ago about how his situation reminds me so much of Derek Jeter's at the end of his career. If you guys remember, uh, Derek was in a negotiation with the Yankees, and he asked for like $125 million, and the Yankees were like, we're not paying you that. You're not close to that player. If you want to test free agency, go for it. And they wound up, you know, finding middle ground uh, somewhere in the range of like 50 million off of the 125 million dollar ask. Because the reality was that for all other teams, they looked at Derek as well. You're a 37 year old shortstop <laughs> whose numbers have been going downhill, and you're not as good. And I think the same is true with Yachty. When I've asked people with other teams about him, uh, obviously everyone has so much respect for what he's done in the past. But their feeling is. They don't think he's an everyday catcher now at this age. Uh, you know, they don't necessarily think that he's going to have the same type of production, so they're not going to you know, necessarily go way beyond what other catchers are getting in that realm, which is like 2 to $3 million a year. Yachty's obviously going to look for more than that, coming off $20 million last year. So the question to me is, can the two sides find middle ground? And I would say this, too, that when I saw those comments from, from Yachty, uh, my thought was, you know what? Uh, he is as, as uh, stubborn as any person that I've met since I've covered baseball. And if there's going to be someone who's going to say, either you give me the numbers I want or I'm going home, I take that ser- more seriously than I, you know, coming from him than I would a lot of other teams. Yeah, that's a great point. Buster, let me ask you this because my buddy BK and I have been arguing about this for the last couple of weeks. I feel like that a guy who's been on the rumor block of uh, Andrew Benatendi over in Boston would be an upgrade for St. Louis, and my buddy BK thinks Jock Peterson would be a better option. So where do you land on this for the Cardinals? Would Benatendi be a better option for St. Louis moving forward to upgrade this offense over a Jack Peterson. I would go with Jack Peterson because I don't think the Red Sox are moving Ben Intendi unless they truly get an offer, you know, that they consider to be decent return back. Now, you know, really, if you go back since the middle of 2019, uh, Ben Intendi's production has gone down, and there's actually been a lot of head scratching about why that is. You know, there is some feeling that within the Red Sox organization, you know, maybe there's been too much of a focus on him hitting home runs and lifting the ball as opposed to staying with his previous swing and and so they wonder if that's part of the issue 
the Red Sox are talking with other teams. From what I understand, um, you know, it's part of a series of things they're considering. And if they move him, it's only going to be because they get the offer they want. Jack Peterson, on the other hand, like he's out there and you can grab him. And you're not necessarily going to have to give up anything. So for that reason, that's why I think he's a better fit. I do, for what it's worth, uh, Buster, I, I was reading last night about, I think it was a Red Sox beat writer who said this, that they're looking for pitching, pitching, and more pitching. Yep. That's what the organization needs. Well, if there is a team that lines up with that in terms of what they can offer, it, it would appear to be the Cardinals because they have as much pitching as any organization could possibly ask for. I would agree with you on that, uh, especially at a time when teams are hoarding uh, the pitching that they can control in a way that uh, that we haven't seen in recent years because there's so much uncertainty with payrolls. You know, a lot of teams, people have wondered, you know, why are these teams not spending? It's not only because, uh, you know, maybe the prices don't line up. It's because in some cases with front offices, they haven't even been given their financial guidelines. Like they're still waiting to hear from their ownership what the actual budget is going to be. Um, and that's why if you're the Red Sox, you're not going to have a lot of places you can go if you can trade for pitching. We're talking to Buster Olney, baseball insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. All right, Buster, the big move that has happened, the the real big move that has actually taken place in baseball over the last week or so, uh, of course, was Francisco Lindor getting traded to the Mets. I am curious from your perspective, kind of a national look at things, how – how far away are the Cardinals now from that kind of top four teams in the National League? Of course, referencing the Dodgers and Padres in the West and then the Braves and the Mets in the East. How far behind those teams have the Cardinals fallen, in your opinion? I think there's a pretty good gap right now. Um, but that's not to say that you know that they couldn't be a factor because, let's face it, the National League Central uh, context is so forgiving for the Cardinals. Like, there has been the fact that there's been absolutely no movement with the National League Central teams other than to look to sell in the case of the Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Brewers really makes it a lot easier for the Cardinals uh, and the question of whether or not they're going to contend. But in terms of who's a great team, Dodgers are the best team in baseball, in my opinion. The Padres are the second-best team. The Braves have won the division repeatedly. They have tremendous depth. They've got young star position players. They can score runs. They have Freddie Freeman. Um, And I think the Mets are not done. Like, if you told me at the end of the winter that they also land George Springer, that would not be a shock to me, and that would be a team that could win the World Series. So then let me ask you this, Buster, because for the Cardinals' perspective, you, you start asking how do they get back into that top echelon where they can start to compete with these guys. How far away are we from the point where we can start to say the Cardinals are starting to build something that can compete those teams? Well, I think they've got a core of guys, you know, assuming that the young players get better and Flaherty gets back um, where he's, you know, as uh, got gets back to the spot where he was uh, closer to the end of the year and becomes a dominant type starter. Um, you've, you've got the core to make that happen. The sense that you get is that the Cardinals, you know, first off, they're not being pressed by the other teams in the Central. They could probably, in these flurry of signings to come, make some marginal-type moves and still be the class of the National League Central. I do wonder, you know, if they're a team, if all of a sudden, you know, the vaccine is, is out there and fans are starting to fill up again and municipalities open up again, that maybe the Cardinals at that point in the middle of the summer begin to loosen up their wallet. Um, I've also wondered about this, because I think the Yankees are in this boat. 
Um, you know, the Yankees have not been aggressive this winter. I, I wonder if the Yankees are sitting back saying, you know what, next fall – uh, Lindor's eligible for free agency. Trevor Story's eligible for free agency. Javier Baez, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, all these, you know, Chris Bryan also, all these tremendous infielders, and they may be holding their money back and, and waiting for that time and for more certainty with uh, how many fans are going to be in the stands and what revenues are going to be. Uh, you set me up perfectly, Buster, because the next thing that I wanted to ask you about was we've talked so much, like so much about Nolan Arenado and whether or not he would be a fit here in St. Louis. I'm not going to ask you about him this time, Buster, because there's another Rockies infielder yes. that I'm interested in. Yes. Of course, Trevor Story. <laughs> what, what do you think about that fit, whether it would be via trade now, via trade at the trade deadline or next offseason, whenever he becomes a free agent? Do you think Trevor Story is a guy that makes some sense for the St. Louis Cardinals to go out and look at? A ton of sense. Look, um, if the Cardinals, you know, weren't that seriously involved in the in the Lindor uh, conversations, and I've gotten no indications that they were, um, then they probably wouldn't get involved in Trevor's story. It's almost an identical situation. You have an elite young shortstop. Story's a year older than Lindor, uh, but he actually, by d- defensive metrics, was a better defender than Lindor. He hits for power. He's got a great reputation in the clubhouse. He checks every box uh, that Lindor does. And, and as you know, I mentioned, he's a free agent in the fall. If the Cardinals weren't willing to take a shot at Lindor, then you also would have a question whether or not they would take a shot at Story because he would be expensive. And we don't have any indication yet that the, Car- the Rockies are actually willing to talk about him. Personally, I think that's crazy. Like, I think they should be going to Story now and saying, here's our offer. Uh, will you take it? You're not going to take it. Okay, then we're going to trade you so we get value in return. Uh, if Story makes it to free agency, or if let's say we get to the end of July, oh my God, he would make so much sense for the Cardinals. Uh, he is an incredibly underrated player. To me, he's a lot like Freddie Freeman is at first base, where you know because Story's big, uh, people don't necessarily think of him as being a great shortstop. He really is, and he'd be a great fit for the Cardinals. And he's a tremendous player, like you said, Buster. Yep. He, he checks every box, and this has been my frustration with the Cardinals really for about five years now, is that they haven't really gone after the guy that checks all of the boxes. They're like, well, this guy, you know, we've got five boxes, and he checks three of them pretty well, and we think he might be able to check those other two. They did it with Paul Goldschmidt, and that has worked out great. They haven't really done it with other guys, and so my hope would be that they would be willing to meet the asking price, whether it be via trade now or free agency next offseason. But I am concerned, Buster. I don't know the last time, I guess it would be Matt Holiday that the Cardinals really extended themselves that far with a contract. When you talk to people around the league, do they get the sense that the Cardinals have an appetite for doing that again? I haven't asked the question in that way. I would say this, that your concern is uh, absolutely appropriate because I do feel like that next fall the Yankees will be in big. You know, the, the team with the big pile of chips, the San Francisco Giants, you know, have been this sleeping giant, so to speak, in the sport as they've let all these uh, contracts uh, you know, that generation of players that won the three championships in five years, the next two years, all that's going to go away. And their spending flexibility is going to be off the charts. The Dodgers are going to, you know, whether they reinvest in Corey Seager or go some other route, they're going to do something. The Phillies need a long-term answered shortstop. The Red Sox might because Xander Bogarts is not considered to be someone who's going to play shortstop his whole career. So the Cardinals would have competition for a Trevor story if uh, they wait till he becomes a free agent. And I'll tell you this, just talking with agents around baseball, they say 
that uh, the the like in Lindor's case, there's a full expectation in the industry that the Mets are going to sign him to an extension before he gets a free agency, just as the Dodgers did with Mookie Betts. And so, if you're the Cardinals and you want you know your best shot at Trevor Story, then the best opportunity for him to keep him long term would be trade for him now and then work out an extension. Well, Buster, we hope that that happens. I, I don't have a whole lot of optimism for it, but I hope that it is possible. We yep. always appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. All the best to you and the family, and hopefully here in about six weeks or so, we're actually talking about real baseball taking place down in Jupiter. Man, that would be so much fun to be you know, talking with players face-to-face again. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. Buster, all the best, man. Thanks so much. See you guys. Absolutely. That is Buster only joining us here on 101 ESPN. Hearing that from him and what the competition is going to be like next offseason for the Cardinals. Listen, again, they're not going to do it. But if they were to do it, the best time, the the best chance for them to actually be able to get one of these superstar players that's going to be available next offseason. I've said it. A million times, I will say it again, is to trade for them now. Do what they have done in the past. They did this. It worked. It is what set themselves up for success over the early 2000s and into the early 2010s. This is the type of move that they made. And it was with this team. They did it with this team, the Rockies. Because that team, the Rockies, couldn't afford their superstar that was about to hit the market. So the Cardinals were like, you know what? We can. Go ahead and bring him here. We're going to be able to take off that awesome player from your hands. And it worked. And hopefully they're able to do it again. You know, you broke me, BK, in your pessimism of making me feel like things aren't possible. And look, I had it for a second when Buster said that. Because you got to compete with the Yankees and the Giants. Not going to happen. But I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to be the polar opposite of you. And I'm going to say... If you get butts in the seats at some point this season and you start to see that optimism growing of, okay, we're getting back to some normalcy, the money's flowing in, guess what, trade deadline? Cardinals, Rockies, let's make a date. I, I've got my fingers crossed. Dude, I got everything saying, crossed. Him saying that Trevor Story is better in some ways defensively than uh, Francisco Lindor is like, oh, man, that guy would be awesome here. Yeah. I'd be into that. Uh, let's go pay $3 million, $300 million. Imagine a defensive infield, though, in all seriousness, a defensive infield that includes... Paul Goldschmidt at first, one of the best defensive first basemen over the last 20 years. Yep. Um, you've got Trevor Story at short, who is apparently, an, an, we know, is an incredible defensive shortstop. And then Paul DeYoung at wherever he feels more comfortable, second or third. And then at the other spot, you have Tommy Matt Carpenter. Oh, sorry. That'd be awesome. <laughs> It'd be awesome. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. My apologies. The Cardinals traded Matt Holiday from the A's. Understood. My bad. But he was a you Rockies get, outfielder. Yes, so you, you understand where Same I was going thing. with that. You are absolutely correct. Timeline-wise, that is absolutely accurate. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We will dive into some questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 6578 always the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers from the 618. Hey guys, I'm going to Vegas at the end of the month for a week. I'm going to wear my blues gear proudly where it would be a good place to bet on the blues to win the cup that comes from the 618 ferrario first of all my favorite spot in vegas is the cosmo mm-hmm. probably no surprise Makes a lot of sense <laughs> to any of our listeners okay. they have an awesome sports book the wayne has the, an awesome sports book as well here comes all the bk's favorite drink as a cosmo jokes right now three I, two and i am prepared for it <laughs> um that's my favorite sports book so that's where i would recommend going but yeah. when you're out there especially if you're out there for a week just shop around see who has the best prices see mm-hmm. who has the best 
best odds on the Cardinals, and that's where you should ultimately place the bet. That being said, do you believe right now, Alex, that this is a good time to place a bet on the Blues to to win the Cup? Hell yeah. I mean, look, you you take them when they're at their bare minimum, and I think that's what this season is, and that's the best case scenario if you're going to place some money down. And look, I know, I sound like an optimist saying that the Blues are going to win the Cup after one hockey game. We've already had the tech. Guys, what are you talking about? It's only one freaking game. Here's the thing, though. Everyone is discounting the Blues, and as they start to play, it's going to start trending up. I talked with my dad this morning, and I think he said that it shifted to plus 1,600 now for St. Louis. Now, I don't know if that's in Vegas or if it's that's his sports book here. But regardless, they're going to keep going north. Yeah, as they're you, 18 to 1 right now on the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook app uh, to win the cup this so year. So they're going to keep going up the more they play. So, yeah, right now, I would say is the best time to do it because you get them at the bare minimum. And look, this team looked stellar last night. There's going to be hiccups. There's going to be injuries. Everything's going to happen. But if I'm putting money down, I love those odds because right now they look like the one of the best teams right now in the NHL. Six five seven eight zero. Hit me with <laughs> it. It's the hair comfort service excellent from the six one eight. Guys, it would be more original to say BK drinks Malibu and pineapple, maybe a sex on the beach. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Somebody else says they were plus two thousand before the game last night, twenty to one. They were. At, they are no longer. Yeah. I texted to BK one. that like right there. I said we need to put money on this right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going over to Illinois here very soon. Yeah, I'll, I'm I'll tell that. you that much. I'm making the drive. I'm going to go over. Yeah. We as a show are going to go ahead and place that down. I think. Yeah. I think that's going to be something on the that we ground have to do. floor of that puppy. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the six one eight guys. Is it just me or did the Blues that look last night exactly like they looked pre bubble? Can't wait to see Hull and Oates on Friday. Damn straight, Texter. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Don't argue with me. Thomas looked like a Hull and Oates. Rebirth on the ice. He looked awesome. Wait till you get Hoffman with that one shot. It's not going to be Hollow Notes. I'm not. I, I'm not going to pretend okay. like I didn't have the thought last night. Not of Hollow Notes. But you, I'm not but going you that said far. This is elite one-two punch. I did. I, yep. I. I had the thought in my mind as I saw what. I mean that. That one play, Robert Thomas, the one-handed pass basically behind the defender's back to Schwartz over to Sundquist. It was incredible. It's as good as you're going to get. There are very few players in the entire league that can make that specific Mm -hmm. play, and Robert Thomas is one of them. You saw his full... uh, assortment of abilities on that play the skating the passing the the vision all of it it was all on display there so yeah i thought in that moment man imagine i love sunny imagine when he's got an elite goal scorer on his right wing just gonna throw that out there ferrario did say that uh, before anyone else did and was made fun of but regardless that's that point is moot right now First of all, Oscar Sundquist looked great, which is very good for this Blues team. And to the Texter's question, I think they look better than what they did pre-bubble. I think this looks like, at least it was the first game, it looked like what they did in the postseason. Because they created consistent puck pressure. I mean, BK, in the first period and the third period, the Blues had sustained pressure in the offensive zone enough to switch the entire lines out. And that's big when you can get the forwards and the defensemen switched. That's what the Blues did when they won the Cup. That's what they did throughout that entire postseason. So I think they looked better than what they did pre-bubble. They looked fantastic in that first period. That's as good as you're going to see them look yeah. for a while. Well, they, that third period was impressive, too, though, because you're, you're dealing with altitude and second sucked. Yeah. But they got better in the third, which was huge. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Alex Ferrario brought up a quote from who Jordan Bennington a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. 
He's like, this, this gets me excited for blue season. BK shot me down. And I played Buzz Killington for that quote. This is a quote that I heard after the game last night. This should get Alex Ferrario excited. I'll tell you what it is coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. They look like a really well-conditioned team. They look like a team that's focused. Uh, I did talk to Craig Berube a couple of weeks ago, and he was raving about the leadership of Ryan O'Reilly, the new captain of the Blues. Uh, real good start against a great avalanche team that's got great expectations. That was Keith Jones on NBC Sports Network after the game last night. Blues get a big win in game number one. You heard it right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, I enjoyed the game last night, too. But can we calm down a little bit? There's a long way to go. Come on now. No, sir, we absolutely will not. In fact, I'm going to ramp it up right now. Robert Thomas had a quote (laughs) after the game that got me excited in a way that I wasn't prepared for. I got to be honest with you, Alex Ferrari. Now someone else is on the hype train. So you heard a quote a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was, from Jordan Bennington, Mm -hmm. where he said, I don't look at the past. And if I do, I'm looking to the the all-star game. It's my 30 victories. It's everything that you want to trust Jordan Bennington in. Damn right I loved that. And you loved it. You were all in, and it got people excited, and I played Buzz Killington for that quote. I walked into the office and said, BK, let's start with this quote, because this quote right here, you're like, oh, well, I don't think it's that big of a deal. So... That was my response to that quote. (laughs) I had a very different response, a visceral response, as I heard this from Robert Thomas after the game last night. Yeah, I think that's been kind of our mentality since uh, since the bubble and since we lost, uh, you know, first round last year. I think uh, we're we're ready to go. We're ready to to prove to everyone that we're still, uh, you know, a top team in this league and a Stanley Cup contender. And, uh, you know, that that was our drive today. And, you know, I think we played a great team game and. It really showed everyone to, to not sleep on us. Yeah! That one, that quote, that gets me going a little bit because there was something to back it up. It wasn't just a hollow quote. It was also we had seen something that fall, that that quote followed up. Don't we, didn't you see something from Bennington that followed up his? I look at sure, I don't look now, in the past. Yes, but that was not what it was at the time. Okay. Coming off of that game, it was the perfect timing for a quote like this because it it felt true to me. You could feel that there was a different compete level for the Blues last night compared to what we had seen from them going into the bubble. And we heard a lot about this from Barubi and the players as they kind of came back this time around for training camp. There was a different intensity about them now than there was about six months ago when they returned for the bubble. And... The Avalanche coach last night after the game basically confirmed that to be true. He said after the game, we, quote, got worked out there, outworked out there all over the ice, end quote. When you hear the opposing coach saying that, that's when you know you just whipped him. You whipped him up and down the ice for 60 minutes, and you didn't just do it to, like, the Chicago Blackhawks or one of these has-beens in the league, right? You did it against what many believe to be the favorite to win the Stanley Cup this year and a young team who is deep as hell and was ready to go last night with Nathan McKinnon, who's been saying all offseason to anybody that will listen. This is the year it is Stanley Cup or bust for the avalanche. 
That's the team you did it against with that type of an intensity. When you learned about 30 minutes prior to the game that Mike Hoffman wasn't going to be able to play mm-hmm. that, that to me was meaningful. So when I heard that quote from Robert Thomas last night, much like how you felt after the Bennington quote, yeah. that got me going. You just got bit. me goosebumps there, BK. I like the enthusiasm, but look, this is how the blues succeed when they fly under the radar. And I do think that return to bubble play, there was this silent confidence that they finished the season before the pause as the number one team in the West. They outplayed the Colorado avalanche and everyone was picking them at that time. There was a silent confidence in, in that bubble camp that they were getting ready for. And then once they got to the bubble, it was kind of a passive, you know, we know how to turn it on when we need to turn it on and we will turn it on. That has not been the mantra of this team since this practice and training camp started. I want to play you a quote from Bruby. You read it yesterday, BK, after their morning skate, and I played it on the pregame show last night. But listen to Bruby's confidence on this one. Just focus on your own game, and we're going to focus on just our team, and we're going to go and uh, win hockey games. That's all we can really worry about. I'm not going to worry about who's picking Vegas or Colorado. They're both great teams, and uh, we're we're fine being where we're at. We'll go and show them on the ice. That's all we can do. That's what drives this team. What drives this team is people saying, well, this team's better. That team's better. Vegas has got Petrangelo. Colorado's got the second best player in the league. Okay, we'll go out there and we'll shut down your best player. Because guess what? Nathan McKinnon had five shots on goal last night, did not get a point. That's what this Blues team can do. When they're doubted, they go out there and they turn it on. And I think you're right to be high on what Robert Thomas said. Because that's the hunger that is We've heard from Shen, Pareko, O'Reilly, Thomas, every player down the lineup, and they backed it up last night. And a guy who was symbolic of the Blues mentality to me is Oscar Sundquist, a guy who going into the game was not expecting to be in the role that he that he that he played. He was not supposed to be on that line with Robert Thomas. Yeah, he wasn't. And then they get word right before the game that Mike Hoffman's going to be unavailable. By the way, it sounds like he should be good to go for Friday's game against the Avalanche. You'll hear that right here on 101 ESPN pregame coverage starting at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. He wasn't supposed to be up there with Robert Thomas, but then they put him up there and he played the role perfectly. And he's the type of guy that symbolizes who this team is. On a lot of teams right now, he'd be a top six forward. Yeah. He's good enough to be that. He can play center. He can play wing. He can play um, on penalty kill. He he can play anywhere you want him to. Yeah. He's a really good player. And Craig Berube last night was asked after the game about the Blues next man up mentality and how it kind of applied last night to Oscar Sundquist. Well, it's the depth, I think, of our team, if you think about it. I think that uh, the last three years, we've been deep team. We've got extra guys that uh, are hungry to play, and when they get an opportunity they go in and do the job um you know so i think uh, doug does a great job in management of uh, providing good players and that and making sure we're deep is this confirmation bias of course it is of course it is but going into the season we all said this looks more like the blues team that we were accustomed to in the run to the cup yeah they have four lines that can all roll out there you feel really good about it last night you got contributions from each and every one of them you know the line that it played the most. They had a good game, but you wouldn't see it based on the numbers. It was the Ryan O'Reilly line. Yeah, 14 that. shots on goal. And out of your 37, or I'm sorry, 35, 14 of them came from that line. And they did a good job overall. But they're not the ones that were producing the points, mm-hmm. right? They will. They'll get there. That'll happen. 
But last night, it was the Robert Thomas Oscar Sundquist line that really showed up in terms of the points. You saw a lot from the Ivan Barbashev, Kyle Clifford line, where Clifford, suddenly on his birthday, is out here scoring a goal, which the we didn't expect. The Rista. Sammy Blay had a couple of really nice plays out there. Tyler Bozak looked really darn good. It was the bottom three lines that kind of propelled them forward in that game last night. That is the Blues. That was Blues style hockey. And so is it, like I said, is it confirmation bias because it's what we believed was going to happen going into the game? Absolutely. But it was nice to finally be able to see it when we've been going almost six months now talking about it. And now you actually got to see the tangible results and it's going to hopefully get even better when they're able to get Mike Hoffman back tomorrow night and you pair him with Robert Thomas, who looks like he has taken that next step. Mm -hmm. You put Oscar Sundquist back on that third line. I this I I, it is it is a cliche, but it is true. The sky is really the limit for, for this team based on the talent that they have acquired and based on the coaching that they have. Doug Armstrong deserves a ton of credit. And it was nice to be able to see last night in the opener, all of the offseason work kind of come yeah. to fruition. Curb said something on that last scrimmage or the first scrimmage that we broadcasted here on 101 ESPN. He said, I'm interested to see how Sunquist plays this season. Is he going to be the cup Sunquist or is he going to be the bubble Sunquist? And, and Curb said this team will go as far as George, as Oscar Sunquist goes. And I think you can insert anybody's name in that sentence, BK. But it's interesting with Sunquist because he was an MVP of that postseason run. He didn't maybe he didn't have the points, which he did in the first couple of rounds. But he played the best in terms of shutting down those top lines. And we saw the other side of an Oscar Sundquist last night. We saw a side of Sundquist that gives the Blues the options of moving a Tyler Bozak down or a Sammy Blade down or a insert name here because Sundquist can play in a top six role if you need him to. And you have to appreciate the ability of Craig Berube because he got the line matchups that he wanted on the road. He was outdueling Jared Bednar in terms of who was on the ice. That O'Reilly line didn't score any goals or get any points, but the 14 point are the shots that they had on top of the ability to shut down the top line of Nathan McKinnon was what they wanted. And they succeeded. This is the depth. One line can shut everyone down. The next three step up and start scoring points. He's a bellwether player. In politics, whenever there's an election, there are bellwether states for the presidential election, right? right? Where it is almost a reflection of where the country is as a whole, and they're indicative of who's going to win the presidency. Mm-hmm. I think that is the case for a guy like Oscar Sundquist. He he helps he helps them find their game, and when they are off of their game, he's one of the guys that suddenly doesn't look like himself again. So I think he's a bellwether player for them. This year, certainly, but in the past, he has been as well. I want to talk about this with Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale is going to join us coming up next. What was his biggest takeaway from last night? I want to talk to him about Bennington, Thomas, Cairo, and of course, Oscar Sundquist. All of that coming up with our Blues analyst, Joey Vitale, next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Thrilled to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. One of my favorite times of the week is talking with our guy Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN. You heard him on the call last night. God, it was so good to be able to hear Joey and Curbs and Ferrario all on the call once again for Blues versus Avalanche. Joey, how you doing, man? Hey, BK. Hey, I'm doing great. You know, it's funny that uh, Electric Connection... Um, it's a show with Joey now, the new sponsor on this. I like it. It kind of it always makes me think of that song 
Uh, BK, you may be a little young. Alex, you're definitely too young for this. Remember that song, uh, It's Electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie. Yeah, the electric, the electric slide. slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the song I'm talking about. Hey, that was popular. That was popular. So, I mean, it's still popular. Joey, did you wear really... I've been to a wedding before. Joey, did you put <laughs> yeah, the bell bottom? Did you do it the bell? Really popular. Did you do the bell bottom pants, Joe? And you used to do the electric slide. Did you used to go out to those dance clubs like John Travolta and Saturday Night Live. Listen, fellas, I didn't go to no dance clubs. I didn't wear bell bottoms. But what I did do, I hit the resurrection mixer hard. Hey, seventh grade. I mean, that was the go-to mixer. The thing about the resurrection mixer was this, guys. Keep in mind, you go to the CBC mixer, the Chaminade mixers, the Village of Shen mixers. They had all the teachers and nuns yeah. and priests. They were they were the people watching over, making sure kids don't do you know kid like stuff. Yeah, you got to resurrection. You got to keep yeah. room for Jesus, Joe. Right? That's right. That's right. You keep room for Jesus. Uh, but the resurrection mixer, they had like the, the coolest parents yep. just show up. I think they were half cocked the whole time, <laughs> and kids were just like, just it was basically, um, it was like it was like L.A. in the '60s with, with the kids and all the stuff they were doing. But this song would always play at a resurrection mixer, and I never forget. I had my my ripped jeans on. I had a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt because I was huge oh, in the WWF back in the day. My God. And, uh, Let's just say no girls wanted to dance with me that night. So so you were dropping it to the floor to the electric slide in your Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirt, basically. I was assuming Abercrombie yeah. and Fitch, honestly. Yeah, I, I see Abercrombie and Fitch with you, Joe. Those were the jeans, Abercrombie ripped jeans, yep. without question. Yes, of course. And then I had the Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, shirt with the blood running down his face. I think he just took a chair to the head. Apparently. Some curve yeah, cologne. No wonder you, you nobody, had the whole thing going. No, no wonder nobody wanted to dance with you, Joe. They were probably afraid of you. I had a hemp necklace. Remember the hemp necklaces? Those were huge back in the day. Uh, my, I'm, my daughter, she, she, she thinks I'm crazy, too. But um, I had a hemp necklace on. I had the worst acne. I had braces for like 13 years. I had a shaved bald head. And I'll never forget it. I'll Come never on. forget it. Me and me and my one of my good friends, uh, we I, I had a crush on a girl. Her name was Courtney Wilson, and she oh. went to visitation. And one of my good girlfriends uh, tried to get us on a three-way conversation to see if she liked me. And Emily said, "Hey, Courtney, you got a crush on Joey." Courtney didn't know I was on the line. And then she goes, oh, my God, ooh, no, Mr. Baldy acne face. I was like, oh, oh boy. Well, I'm just going to quietly hang up this three-way call, and I'm going to go I'm going to go I'm going to go be with myself for a little while here and, and try to get through this. <laughs> Understandably so. All right, Joe. Well, talk to me about this game last night, man, because uh, Birdie Rose is not a fan of your uh, she is not a fan of your bald and braceless face. Um, uh, <laughs> a lot of aspects from that game last night, Joe, that should be excited about. But we, we keep getting texts that are telling us it's one game, guys. Calm down with the enthusiasm. Are we right to be enthusiastic after 60 minutes of hockey? You know what? No, we should be enthusiastic because this is a great start for a great hockey team, guys. Uh, a team with brought in some veterans, and I think they were excited to kind of get rolling, get the ball rolling here. And, and I like I liked the 5-on-5 five five play that they stifled a very good hockey team. And I was talking to Steve Ott a little bit this morning, and, and he told me this team is as dialed in as they were around that playoff run. So it just goes to show you how mature this, this team is and what the veterans they have and how they've gotten prepared up to this point very early in the season. I think you look at the game last night, it could have gone either way. Uh, everyone had expectations. You could have seen a goose egg. You could have seen a game like we saw. And I think it just goes to the maturity and the veteranism of this team and this coaching staff of how prepared they were from the get-go in game one. 
Joey, I want to ask you about Jordan Kyrou because everybody's going to focus in on the goal that he had last night. It was a good one. It's it's worth focusing on, but he made some defensive plays as well, I thought, last night that kind of showed the growth that we've seen from him. What did you see from Kyrou last night, and what do you think Craig Berube is happy about from what he saw from Kyrou last night? You know, I tell you what, I was more impressed what Kyrou did away from the puck, and I told this to the broadcast last night with Curbs and than what he did with the puck. And listen, what he does with the puck is, is pretty magical. I mean, look at that goal, the tic-tac-toe with Tyler Bozak gets to the net hard. You see his excitement. I love his speed down low. I mean, we all know he has a straightaway speed up and down the ice. He can kind of fake to the inside and go around defensemen on the outside. That's that straightaway speed that is very obvious. But last night he had the speed where he was kind of swiveling in and out and doing the 360s down low and losing defensemen, including Kale McCarr defensemen. I mean, high caliber Gerard, Kale McCarr, fast, efficient defenseman. He's losing these guys in the corner. So not only his up and down speed, but his quickness on his feet and his ability to turn out of checks was impressive. But uh, all that was kind of the obvious for this young Jordan Cairo. But what was impressive to me, uh, BK, I agree with you, was his play away from the puck. There were times where the Blues got a little bit loose at times and you saw Colorado have a three on two or an odd man rush coming the other way. And all of a sudden, boom, it got broken up by a forward coming back with back pressure. And twice it was Jordan Cairo. So I think he's starting to take ownership of the defensive side, starting to take ownership of play away from the puck, doing all the little things that Craig Bruby needs him to do. Because last night he looked like a different player. I mean, he looked like a different human being. He looks bigger. He looks stronger. He looks confident. You see him talking a lot on the ice. You can hear him talking because there was no one in the building. Uh, a man just really taking charge of his career, and uh, it's exciting for the St. Louis Blues to have him uh, part of this wonderful lineup. Joe, I want to go back to what Steve Ott told you about how this team looks as, as, as energized and locked in as they did in that cup run. And I tell you, the one thing that I, I agree with and that sticks out to me because of that is the fact that the Blues on offense, when they had the puck in the zone, it was consistent pressure. I mean, Colorado couldn't get the puck off of their stick all the while while the Blues were able to switch that entire roster on the ice and get a new line out there. That, to me, is when, when you know that this Blues team is on their game. I agree, Alex. I think that was in that third period where we saw, I think it was the, the third line of Jordan Cairo. They had a great shift, and that was the shift I was talking about as far as him losing defenders and holding on to the pucks and Oh, down now. Swooping in and out of the checks right there. But then that third line kind of went, and they went, and they went. And the first person, get this, the first person to change after that that wonderful 40-second kind of segment in the offense zone was Jordan Cairo. I saw him lead the bench. They got a fresh body right on the ice. I'm surprised Craig Ruby went with that fourth line, but he went with the Clipper line right after, and then it was the fourth line. Grind, 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 grind. Colorado ended up taking an icing, so they got a little bit of a breather. Unfortunately, for the Blues, they couldn't capitalize. But those are those plays. Those little sequences in a game where happens over two minutes span where you know that the opponent's either going to take a penalty or it's going to end up in the back of their net. But that's that Blues brand of hockey. It's that wave after wave, grind after grind, just waves of Blues jerseys just coming one after another and wearing the opposing team down. And then when you can get fresh bodies out there, that's when they really can counter and attack in a good way. So we, we saw that. We saw the physicality. We saw saves. We saw structure. We saw discipline at times. I mean, for a first game, guys, after the pause and all the emotional turmoil that a lot of these players and coaches have felt over the last four to five months, that was, that was as impressive as it gets, I think. We're talking to Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, Joey Vitale, here on the show. Joey, I did want to ask you about Robert Thomas because holy cow, that, that pass that we saw from him was about as good as you're going to get, and it showed everything that we've been talking about. Is he ready at this point to take that next step, or are we seeing it right before our very eyes? I mean, listen, when Alex and I were talking on our show the other day, this week in hockey, shout out, 
Uh, we talked about breakout player uh, for this season, and I think it's going to be Robert Thomas. Not only because I think he's ready for it, uh, there's something about that third year. You look at Nathan McKinnon, some of these stars in the National Hockey League, it takes them a few years. You know, the first year they come on strong, then there's that second year sophomore slump, and then third year they realize the mistakes made in year two, and they really come out and, and are impactful in year three. And that's the timing right now for Robert Thomas. I liked the pass to Sunquist at the end as he kind of gave the no look to the back door. I liked the actual first pass, which if you looked a little bit closer, as he slipped to Jaden Schwartz, who set up Sunquist for the first goal of the game. I mean, he had one hand on a stick, and I was talking to him this morning on a Zoom, believe it or not, just about 10 minutes before you guys called. And I said to him, I said, well, you're so good now, you don't even need two hands in your stick. And he kind of, of course, kind of laughed it off and, and just uh, made some sort of joke about me making bread. Anyway, so, I mean, it, it, it goes to show you that he's confident. He's got swagger. You know, he was going to the net. I believe Graves was chirping him as he crashed into Grubauer, and he kind of started chirping back. He, he's getting mature. He's getting, he's getting more composed. He's getting kind of that, that kind of confident kind of demeanor and attitude you want to see out of a top two centerman in the National Hockey League. And the playmaking ability just goes on and on forever. I know a lot of critics out there say, man, shoot the puck more, shoot the puck more. I don't know, guys. I saw some of those passes last night, and if you would have taken a shot on some of those opportunities, I don't think the Blues can counter and score. So I like his playmaking ability. I think we should just trust the fact that every now and then he may give up on a shot opportunity because the other nine times out of ten, he will connect and make an incredible pass and then hopefully set the Blues up for a nice scoring chance because he's got some, he's got playmaking in his blood, and it was a lot of fun to see him. Him and Jordan Cairo last night, uh, two of the best forwards on the ice, and Look at the youth at St. Louis, and we have this new wave coming, so it's pretty exciting. Joe, final one I want to ask if that's uh, okay with you and Bertie Rose. Um, Jordan Bennington last night, very impressive. He's talked about it throughout the training camp, but I love the fact that Colorado was trying to get him off of, the, off of his game and play behind the net more, kind of get, make him go left to right, but he was always composed in front of the net, and he was always challenging the shot. I thought he looked just as advertised what we saw throughout training camp. He was. Listen, this is a kid that is not happy with his performance in the bubble. Uh, even though he's given the St. Louis City two wonderful years of consistent winning brand hockey, um, what have you done for him lately? And, and what he did in Edmonton was not something he was happy about from a from an individual standpoint or for this team. He felt like probably at times he probably let his team down, let the city down, and a uh, missed opportunity. So how do you respond to that? How do you go over about yourself for the next four to five months and think about what has happened? Well, I'll tell you what he did. He just got right back to the gym, and he started really preparing physically, mentally, emotionally for this return that he thought eventually was going to happen, and, of course, it happened last night. But it didn't just happen overnight. I mean, this is a kid that started the camp day one. Darren Pang was extremely impressed by how sharp he was, how dialed in he was. His laser focus, when he goes to make a glove save, he, his eyes stay on that puck. When he goes to make a stick save and the puck goes to flex into the corner, his eyes stay on that puck. That's how you know he's calibrated. His mind is working. It's functioning properly where he's seeing the pucks on a great, great level. You know, last night, I liked the way his head was going 360, especially those wraparounds in the second period. He was going post to post, holding the post strong. I think Nathan McKinnon came in on that one rush and three or four bodies tried to knock Biddington off his post, but he held strong on that pad and kept the puck out. As he showed strength, he showed flexibility, a lot of fight back. I love his fight last night. Think about this. The first shot on net from Burakovsky goes through his armpit, hits the post. That almost squeaked in. Then about four minutes later, Burakovsky scores on the power play. Every reason, every 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 reason to kind of kind of go back in that hole and think, oh boy, here we go again. But I was impressed by the fight back. The Blues got back, they evened it up, and they went on that run because of their goaltender. He had fight, he had jam, he had confidence, he didn't look nervous. Uh, this is this is old school Jordan Bennington. The Blues should be excited to see him back. 
He is Joey Vitale. You'll hear him tomorrow night. Blues versus Avalanche pregame coverage begins right here on 101 ESPN starting at 7 o'clock. Joe, always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and the fam. We'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, and forget everything I said about the resurrection mixture stuff. That was that was just we were we weren't on air yet, were we? No, no we were recording. Yeah. So we'll, we'll go ahead yeah. and get rid of that. We'll edit it out in post production. We'll be good to go. Although, Joe, Joe I, I fully expect a picture of you in your Abercrombie jeans, your oh, Stone Cold baby. Steve Austin shirt, and your buzzed head. <laughs> oh baby, next Halloween, that's when I'm gonna be all over again. I can't Thanks, wait, guys. You got it. That is Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think. What he said there in the beginning, he basically, I'm summing it up here, not in an exact quote, but he said, you know, everything that you wanted to see last night, you saw. And I think that's why people are so excited and why I think it's justified right now. I know we are getting told by some, hey, calm down. It is only one game. Some. It, it's true. It is just one game and you shouldn't go overboard. It's it, it's not like they are suddenly Stanley Cup champions because last night they beat Colorado mm-hmm. in the in the season opener. We all understand that. But everything you could possibly want to see, you saw last night. The guys that you needed to see step up, they did step up in a big, big way. Jordan Bennington is one of the stories of the season, and he was clearly at the peak of his performance. It looked to me like Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyrou both are ready to take that step forward. Progress is not linear. It's not going to be that way all year long. It's very possible that tomorrow night in the game, Jordan Kyrou has a couple of bad decisions. He doesn't play as well as he did in night number one. He doesn't have the same energy. He doesn't play as well defensively. And he takes a little bit of a step back. That's okay. Two steps forward, one step back, and then two steps forward again. And if you're able to do that over the course of the season, you're going to be very happy with where he's at at the end of the year. We just needed to see that peak. Mm -hmm. We needed to be able to see uh, coming out after what happened in the bubble, I needed that performance, yeah. and they showed it to me last yeah, night. Yeah, if anything, if you're going to take and be excited about it, it's the fact that they were prepared for this season. They were p- prepared for that team. Friday is going to be a test because now Colorado knows what to expect. But if the Blues can go out there and perform the way they did last night, tomorrow, then I think you should be very optimistic about this team because they're continuously prepared for these games. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we talked to Buster Olney earlier today, and he had some interesting comments about Andrew Benintendi, whether or not he's actually available, and if the Cardinals make sense as a match for Andrew Benintendi's services. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Teams are hoarding the pitching that they can control in a way that uh, that we haven't seen in recent years because there's so much uncertainty with payrolls. That's why if you're the Red Sox, you're not going to have a lot of places you can go if you can trade for pitching. That was Buster only on with us earlier today. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Buster only was talking about Andrew Benatendi and where he's ultimately going to land, right? I was reading MLB.com yesterday, and they put together a little bit of a roundtable that included beat writers from a bunch of different teams, prospective teams that could potentially trade for Andrew Benintendi, and also the Red Sox beat writer. The Red Sox beat writer said they're looking for young pitching, either cost-controllable at the major league level or prospects, pitching, pitching, and more pitching. That is what this organization needs, both starting and relief pitching, end quote. Well, Ferrario, if ever there was a team that lines up with that need, it is this St. Louis Cardinals organization right now. Yep. And if you're looking at what the Cardinals need, it is somebody very similar to Andrew Benintendi. Now, is he the perfect player? 
No. In fact, he's been underwhelming each of the last two seasons. Last year in particular, played just 14 games, finished the year batting 105. That's awful. I mean, truly horrific. I don't think that's indicative of who Andrew Benintendi is as a player. The year prior, he didn't have the same pop. He ended the year as basically a major league average type of a hitter. But he does have some really nice splits for what the Cardinals need. He's a left-handed hitter. He crushes right-handed pitching. The Cardinals don't really have a guy that profiles that way. So he makes some sense for the Cardinals to look at as a trade candidate. He also has two years left of club control. About $6.5 million this year. If he plays well, you would imagine about $10 million the following season. So that, that fits in some of their parameters for salary as well. As we're looking at this and we think a little bit more about it, I have convinced myself that Andrew Benintendi is about as good as this team's going to do if they are going to add an outfield bat. He hits from the right from the left side, but the correct side, if you will. <laughs> he could platoon very easily with Harrison Bader. The Cardinals match up with what they need. The Cardinals have a surplus of what the Red Sox are looking for. And really, to me, the match that makes the most sense if the Red Sox are interested, and that's the big question here, would be Carlos uh, Martinez. Yeah. Because Carlos is owed about $12 million this year. You would actually be shedding salary. So basically for Carlos Martinez, you would be getting Andrew Benintendi and a little bit more flexibility to be able to bring back Yadier Molina potentially with that money that you're saving. So I think that is the trade to me that makes the most sense. See, the part that gets me with that, though, is what Buster told us. Young, controllable arms. And if I'm Boston, that's what I want. I want a guy who is controllable for me, who has the potential to be on my ball club and help my ball club. Maybe not a top prospect. Like, I don't think Levitor or Zach Thompson no. is, a, is a realistic ask from Boston for Benetiendi. But if you look at kind of the next spot down, maybe like a Johan Oviedo or something like that, if you're willing to move on from that. What about Ponce? But is, is he controllable? That's yeah. the biggest thing. Yeah. How much? How many more? I mean, he, he's under club control right now, like team team control. So, so you, he's got, got like multiple five years, years. Left, I think. And what mistaken. is he? He's 25. He's very young. Yeah. He's very young. That would make sense. And Austin Gomber would make sense. That's the kind of tier that I'm looking at. And the way that Buster only made it seem that's a lot to ask for for some teams right now. And I can see that side of it because this season, I think you're going to be utilizing all of these young arms that are controllable because you're not going to want to blow people out of the water when it comes to injuries after last season. So I think that asking price is high if Buster only is speculating. But if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm giving up those guys in a heartbeat because I need to upgrade my offense. And if that's the best way possible, I'm doing it. But I just don't know if Carlos Martinez, I think it might have to be Carlos and a young controllable pitcher yeah. for Boston. Carlos and Ponce, yeah. something like that. You're, you're giving up Carlos. Carlos would be the salary dump in this instance. He does, though, help Boston. And then Ponce would be the guy that they're they're actually trading for. By the way, he has this year plus four more years after that of club control. So he's under contract this season for an estimated $575,000. He costs nothing. Ponce de Leon does. Right. Same thing next year, and then he starts getting into arbitration. He's 29 years old next season. I would imagine that's the type of return if the Red Sox want somebody that is in the major leagues that's ready to go that can help their roster next year. That's the type of player that they're probably looking for. So I... I think it makes a lot of sense. And 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line uh, from the 314. Guys, Cardinals management has officially won. We have now been conditioned to get excited about guys like Andrew Benintendi joining the Cardinals. There's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. Um, it's it, it, He is not a super exciting player. 
He's not. I'm not going to try to sell you as if he is. He's a guy that has been underwhelming for the Red Sox, and there's a reason why he is available right now. It's because he hasn't lived up to the prospect type that he once had. That being said, it is different. He is a guy that hits from a different side than the prospects that you have that are underwhelming in your own outfield. I would be curious, Ferrario, if they made a deal like this, who do you think is the odd man out? Because we know it's not like they're going to give up on Tyler O'Neill. Dylan Carlson's going to play every day. Harrison Bader is going to get plenty of opportunities, especially against left-handed pitching. Dexter Fowler still has the contract. So who who's going to end up being the odd man out if they make a move for an outfielder? Is it Lane Thomas? Lane Thomas. And Justin Williams? Well, I said this to you last week. I don't even know why we're still talking Justin Williams. I mean, yes, he's an option, but he's an option that's like so far down on this depth chart. I think Lane Thomas is the odd one out. I think he's going to be buried into Memphis to where he's still controllable and you still see what he's got. But I mean, let's be frank here. He didn't play last season because of COVID. It hit Lane Thomas hard. So that would be an option for the Cardinals to get more out of him. Um, and in terms of some of the other guys, I think you see less of Dexter Fowler. If there's a DH, you're going to see him in the DH I'm position just thinking in terms of the roster. Like you can't have seven dudes on the roster. The 25, 25 or 28, depending on what the active roster is. Bader O'Neill Fowler. Carlson and then Benetiendi. That'd be mm-hmm. five guys. You'd have five guys. But uh, Thomas, I think Williams. Lane, I think Lane Thomas and Justin Williams are going to be buried in a Memphis to where they're going to be everyday players to see Williams what they got. Out of options. Williams is either up on the big league clubs or hitting hitting waivers. Next okay. Year. Well, there there's the, there's the question in itself. Do you want Justin Williams, the unknown that we've been told, or do you want Benetiendi, who, yes, he's been bad these last couple of seasons, but he has been really good at times for Boston. Now, maybe it's a change of scenery. To me, this comes down to evaluating talent, what we've talked about for so long. If you can hit this nail on the head and say, hey, this guy needs a change of scenery. We think he could be really good or at least upgrade this offense. Let's go get him. That's the step in the right direction of evaluating talent. But if you go out there and you get him and he's bad, then guess what? Back to the drawing board. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. Last thought on this from the 314. BK, do you ever get exhausted with the amount of realistic trade scenarios regarding the Cardinals, knowing that the more likely thing to happen is that nothing will happen? Yeah, I get exhausted about it's it. Exhausted. We've been we've been doing this for three months now of wondering what are the Cardinals gonna do? And the answer is typically probably nothing. And is that exhausting? Of course it is. Of course it is. But I'm I'm a curious dude who likes looking into these things. And so I, I have fun with it and trying to figure out, okay, based on what we know about the Cardinals and the biggest thing for them, the top line this offseason is we're not going to spend a whole lot of money. And if you're not going to spend a whole lot of money, this is a way to potentially get a guy that can help you, a left-handed bat, without spending a ton of money. In fact, actually spending less money by trading the contract of Carlos Martinez. You end up saving $6 million in this type of a deal. So it makes sense. I think it would make a lot of sense for both teams in this perspective, in this respect. Will it happen? I don't know. We'll see. And that, that's something that remains to be seen. But I do think it makes a lot of sense. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're going to dive into the junk drawer coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Can I play Buzz Killington for a minute? You do every day, so I don't know why we should stop now. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm BK Buzz Killington. Although this is on the blues, BK, we're going to have a problem. No, it's not. You know I'm all in. You know I'm all in. Yep. All right. All right. I'll take the Buzz Killington and hit me with it. 
God bless Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. He is doing the anti Juju Smith-Schuster this week. So if you remember, Juju leading into the Browns game said, basically, the Browns are the Browns and we're not going to lose to the Browns. I'm summarizing that, but that's more or less what he said going into that game. Well, it didn't work out well for him. It was bulletin board material for the Browns. Browns won the game. Now they're playing the Chiefs this weekend. Well, Wink Martindale. Great name, by the way was asked about Josh Allen, the opposing quarterback this upcoming weekend. Yeah, who you're afraid of. I will go ahead and play his comment. Here is what Wink Martindale had to say in terms of what he thinks about Josh Allen. Every Everything that he, he uh, has done, he's become more accurate with it. So he's like, uh, to, to paint the picture for you all, it's a young Ben Roethlisberger because of his size and how he extends plays with like Marino's arm, is what I told the secondary coaches. And, the defensive staff. Excuse me, what? Did did he just say that Josh Allen is a young Ben Roethlisberger size-wise with the arm of Dan Marino? He's like, uh, to, to paint the picture for you all, it's a young Ben Roethlisberger because of his size and how he extends plays with, like, Marino's arm. Those yeah, are two Hall of Famers. Dan Marino, arguably the greatest arm in the history of the sport. And then old Ben Roethlisberger, who's like... One of the largest, most difficult quarterbacks ever. Again, in the history of the sport to sack. Those like are, Marino's arm. Those are the comps for Josh Allen? Well, we couldn't get out the, the preparedness of Peyton Manning and the clutch gene of Tom Brady. The, those comps were unavailable. The speed so on Wink Martindale. of Michael Vick. Yeah, I mean, it, Lamar Jackson, basically, in terms of his, his mm-hmm. scrambling ability. What are we doing? We, we have to calm down with this Josh Allen. Here's hype. the thing, BK. I think Wink is right on it. I think he's on the money. I think you are afraid of Josh have, Allen and Pat Mahomes. Have you watched any Dan Marino highlights I from have. back in the day? And you know what? I call myself a Dan Marino expert, some may say. No, nobody no, says that's that. That's not true at <laughs> all. That's not true that. at all. But, I, I mean, look, Josh Allen's a big guy. I think you can compare him to Big Ben because both are very big. Um, Dan Marino's arm was fantastic, but Josh Allen's arm has been fantastic. So I don't see the problem here. I... I There are degrees of fantastic, right? (laughs) Josh Allen, if you want to compare his arm, and you know I don't do this lightly. If you want to compare his arm to Patrick Mahomes, a modern-day quote-unquote equivalent. I'd say better. I can listen to that. I I really can. I think Josh Allen, in terms of his arm power, the strength that he has behind it, is every bit as strong as Patrick Mahomes. Now, Mahomes has different angles that he uses that are a little... uh, The talent that he has, I think, is a little on a different level, but... To compare him to Dan Marino, Dan Marino is the standard. He, he is, it's number one and then everybody else. I'm not willing to listen to that. Because we we got to chill. Someone's on that. pissed off at you because can we just stop with the Chiefs conversations again? This has nothing to do with the Chiefs. <laughs> well, and you also love Tom Brady. I don't know what happened okay. here. Like, I mean, you mentioned Tom Brady there. No, yes, look, this is getting a little overboard. I will say a combination of a young Ben Roethlisberger (laughs) and Dan Marino. I think Wink is just trying to make things a little aggressive here. I will say, though, you have to agree that the adjustments Josh Allen has made from last season to this season have been second to none right now in terms of quarterbacks. This was his first year above a 60% completion rate. 
in his football career. Yeah. Like dating back to middle school. He didn't have a completion percentage above 60% in high school. And he's got 69%. He's completed 69% of his passes this year. It's a nice number. It is very nice. It's it's unbelievably impressive. And he's a great story. Josh Allen leading the Buffalo Bills to becoming one of the best offenses in the league this year is it is a tremendous storyline yeah. and he's a really good quarterback but I've got it let's let's calm it down a little bit everybody let's not act like he's the second coming of Jesus <laughs> and Fergie as a quarterback it's true his voice might be we don't know you know what's unbelievably impressive BK other than Josh Allen the fact that the Cleveland Browns can't learn from their past. Okay. We all know. I feel like they've learned a little bit. Well, from their I don't past. know. We all know what happened in that first round, the wild card, right? Where uh, Chase Claypool and Juju Smith Schuster decide to run their mouths of saying that they're just a bunch of gray faces, not going to do anything. What happened? You got pounced on. Well, now the Cleveland Browns are turning into the Pittsburgh Steelers because, oh, oh, well, OBJ, who, you know, he's going to suit up this weekend and go out there and perform, right? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Not not with his injury. Well, 42 minutes ago on social media, BK, Odell Beckham Jr. just tweeted, don't be surprised this weekend when they win. Just throwing that out there. OBJ, buddy, if you did not learn from what the Pittsburgh Steelers just did and you really just put a tweet out there where you can't go out and back up what you just said, you just lit fuel underneath the fire of a Kansas City Chiefs team that is figuring... Cleveland's pretty high on themselves. I, this was a. I know you, you shut up on the I'm Chiefs. I'm not to talk stuff. about the Chiefs on this show. You sh- six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line from the three one four guys. Whenever we talk about the NFL quarterbacks, we should just go ahead and let BK go after his alter ego. It's Bcater. That's his name plus hater mixed together because that's what he does. If Thanks. it's not Patrick Mahomes, he's always hating on other quarterbacks. Thanks for clarifying that. By the way, if it's not Patrick Mahomes, he's always hating on Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. And I agree with all of this. Then why am I so high on uh, on Deshaun Watson? I don't know. I love Deshaun Watson. You just because you just you have to like ease yourself into everything I, right I now. I like Deshaun Watson. I think Russell Wilson has has become a little underrated at this point in time. I okay. said I think that um Aaron Rodgers was deserving of the MVP this year. I'll give you credit. Credit where it is due. Tom Brady, you you guys know I'm I'm all in on Tom Brady. Um BK Our boy Donnie Fandango over at the point has officially called you out. What happened? There's a tweet that Donnie just put out 52 seconds ago of Josh Allen doing the air guitar because Josh Allen is ready to take down this Kansas City Chiefs team. You are afraid of number 17, and I am on the Bills Mafia with Donnie Fandango. I'm not a... Say it. I'm not afraid of Josh Allen. There it is, Donnie. I'm not afraid of Josh Allen. I saw that fumble. I saw it. We all saw the fumble. There it is, Donnie. BK is hater. (laughs) Drinking that hater aid. BK hater. I like Josh Allen. I just think that we need to relax a little bit with the comparisons to one Dan Marino and a young Ben Roethlisberger. That is just a step too far for me. By the way, um, from the 314 on our Air Comfort Service text line 65780, that's a stretch from the OBJ comments. Juju disrespected the Browns. OBJ was more to support the boys. No, I'm pretty sure he was disrespecting Kansas City as well. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm not too worried about All that. Right, from the 314 BK. as well. BK only likes Deshaun Watson because he's friends with Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Touche, Sue. Touche. <laughs> Coming up next, Robert Thomas, story of the game last night, and his ascension this year is going to be critical for the Blues to reach their uh, peak. We'll talk about that. Coming up on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Sunquist, if he had gone down, they'd probably call a penalty. I'm glad he didn't go down. The Blues get it in. Schwartz to Sunquist. He scores! Oscar Sunquist. That's one of the highlights that you're going to see this this NHL season. Not just for the Blues, but for the league as a whole. I'm watching it again right now. I, I posted a video of this on Twitter last night at BK Sports Talk. You can follow Alex at Ferrario101ESPN. This pass from Robert Thomas through the legs of a defender to Jaden Schwartz, who then passes it ahead to Oscar Sundquist, is ridiculous. It's one-handed. It's with his left hand. You shouldn't be able to do that. You shouldn't be able to do the things that Robert Thomas did on the ice last night. And Alex, this is why when you came in and you said, hey, this reminds me of Hull and Oates. I laughed at you. Yes, it you was did. unfair of me to do so. I still think it's a little outlandish to say that. However... This is the kind of play that leads to stuff like that, right? It's impossible not to get excited about Robert Thomas and what his future can be here in St. Louis when you see plays like we saw last night from him. Yeah, and look, I I won't make you apologize to me on air for the disrespect there, so you know we'll just move on from that, and I won't acknowledge it. But here's the thing. like Robert Thomas is prepared for this next step because he's getting the confidence from the coaching staff but also because he's getting the proper line mates. And this is no disrespect to the guys who he played with last season, but that was a stepping stone. I go back to that first year of Robert Thomas in the cup run. You know, in the November-December mark, he was a healthy scratch for about a week. And the coaching staff made him sit up top in the rafters with Steve Ott and watch the game. And I remember to talk are talking with Robert Thomas about this and Steve Ott about this. And they said he just needs to see what he's not doing on the ice. You need to see it from up top what needs to happen at the NHL level. And from that moment on, he, Maroon, and Bozak created a very strong third-line presence. Last season, he was kind of in and out with a bunch of players because of the injuries. He was never set at one spot, kind of like what Justin Falk was. Wing, center, third line, first line. Now he's positioned to be in one spot. You are the centerman with Jaden Schwartz and Mike Hoffman. Now, I know Hoffman wasn't there last night, but that even backs up the, the, the point I'm trying to make. Thomas is ready for this, this opportunity, and he takes the Blues to the next level because you give yourself a one-two punch down the middle with Ryan O'Reilly and Robert Thomas with the depth of a Sunquist, a Barbashev, a Bozak, and a Braden Shen. And everything he did last night should have been illegal in hockey terms because he was that damn good on the ice. It was amazing. And that that line as a whole, the Schwartz-Thomas-Sunny line, finished the game according to Natural Stat tri- Trick, which is a place that kind of tracks this stuff. He fit, that line finished the game with nine shots for mm-hmm. zero shots against. They had four high danger scoring chances. They had zero against. They played in that game a total of nine minutes. This is all in five on five opportunities. That line was the dominant line for the Blues last night. They were the one that put the point production on the board. And it was because those three guys played spectacularly together. And it as much as it sucked last night to not be able to see Mike Hoffman on the ice. 
I actually think in some ways that could have been good for that line to have Oscar Sundquist with them because he brings some physicality, some defensive mindedness that maybe you wouldn't have there with Mike Hoffman that probably was good against that particular team. So in some ways, I do think it helped them to have Sonny on the right wing last night. But man, moving forward, especially against these upcoming teams that you're going to have with California squads that you're about to play, that is going to be killer. To be able to watch Robert Thomas with shorts on one side, who was a puck retriever, and we mm-hmm. saw that last yeah. night with him. And then to be able to dish it off instead of to Sonny, who's a good player, but to an elite goal scorer like Mike Hoffman, man, I last night got me very excited to see what this year can actually bring for Robert Thomas. We saw a step last year for him. Yeah. I think you're gonna see that ascension into not superstardom, but at least locally stardom. Yeah, and look, I don't think it was an exaggeration when Craig Berube said that this guy's going to be an elite centerman. Like, I really don't believe that that was kind of an exaggeration. It's just some of these guys take a little bit longer to groom. You know, like a Robert Thomas wasn't a Connor McDavid in the OHL. He wasn't the number one guy. He played on a very good OHL team, but those guys, when they're deeper into the draft, they take time to kind of ascend into what you want them to be. Don't forget, like an Alex DeBrinkett with the Chicago Blackhawks, He was around that same draft pick for Chicago at the time, around that number. He just excelled faster because he was playing with a Patrick Kane and a Jonathan Taves. This is the tip of the iceberg, I feel like, for Robert Thomas, and you're just going to get more from him now because, again, you have guys who can take those passes on the stick from Robert Thomas and do something with it. So power play, five on five. And the reason that there were no shots against BK was one because of what we mentioned before Craig Berube got the matchups he wanted which was incredible in itself but two Colorado didn't have an answer to how to stop that offense because they were in the offensive zone pretty much the entire time that they were on the ice so I do think that was a lot on Robert Thomas it wasn't just him last night we mentioned Sunquist, who was really good for them as well Uh, we talked earlier today about Jordan Cairo and what he was able to do for them these young guys being able to step up, cost-controlled young guys that have clear high ceilings for them, especially guys like Sunquist, who has two more years left on his deal, five and a half total million after this year, mm-hmm. that allows you to have a little more flexibility moving forward. You need some of these young guys to be able to step up. And so when you see Robert Thomas, who's getting to restricted free agency after this year, Jordan Kyrou, who's hitting restricted free agency after this year, when you see them take that next step, okay, That gives the Blues a little bit more confidence about whatever that bridge deal looks like for these young guys. And it also means if they can be counted upon for top three lines for Robert Thomas, top six forward potentially for sure uh, as a center. Well, now going into the offseason, that $5 million that's coming off the books for Tyler Bozak, maybe you move that forward and you use it towards a Hoffman deal or you use it towards a Schwartz deal. It allows them to be able to, instead of going out in free agency and acquiring somebody mm-hmm. that can do the things that you needed from Cairo for 4 $5 million, now you can pay, pay Cairo a little bit less and you can use that money elsewhere. So this is big news for this season, but I think more importantly, what we're seeing from Cairo last night, Thomas, Sunquist. That's really big news for them moving forward in years to come. Yeah, it's the evolution of a franchise that you want to keep that Stanley Cup window open, right? I'm not saying Jordan Cairo is going to be as good as Jaden Schwartz because Schwartz is... is, They're They're different players. They're different players, but nobody compares to the way that Schwartz plays in the offensive zone and the defensive zone. He's a puck count. But if you can get more of a scoring punch from a Cairo and a Samford and you have Robert Thomas, what that does is it makes Jaden Schwartz expendable. And I hate to say it, but, you know, he's going to cost money next offseason. 
and especially if they win another cup, can exactly. you imagine how much he's going to get? And especially if he has a big season. I mean, you could be looking at a six or seven million dollar guy post pandemic where things start to go back in the right direction for hockey teams. But it also gives you the opportunity and the decision to say, OK, well, Sunquist is he ready for an accelerated role as a third line guy? I think so. You have Ivan Barbashev. Is he ready for an accelerated role? Cairo, Sanford, you have a couple of other guys in the minors that you're hoping to find out who they are. But then you get the decision to say, do we want a Schwartz back? Who might cost us some money? Or do we want to alter to a Mike Hoffman who gives us a, a legit scoring threat that maybe a Jaden Schwartz doesn't have? What it does is it gives you options. And Doug Armstrong has done a phenomenal job of finding a roster to not have to pay five or six million dollar player to play on your third line. He keeps those those heavily paid guys on the top two, but he can find the younger players with contract controllable to play the third and fourth line. And Craig Berube turns them into reliable players. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Last thing on this from the six one eight guys: If the young guys play better, doesn't that also make them more expensive and attractive to other teams? It would if they were unrestricted free agents the guys that we're talking about coming up this offseason there's a lot of guys on the blues roster that kind of came up around that same time and they're all restricted Mm -hmm. free agents next offseason so so that includes ivan barbashev it includes robert thomas jordan kairu vince dunn all of those guys essentially are negotiating exclusively with the blues the blues have the right of first refusal on an offer to them so that means that If they were unrestricted, they could go negotiate with all 30 teams. They could Mm -hmm. go wherever they want to. And that's going to be the case for a guy like Tyler Bozak, Carl Gunnarsson, Jordan Bennington. Those guys will hit the free free agent open market. It's different when you're a restricted free agent. So that is what I'm saying there. You're going to have opportunities to negotiate off of this season with some of those young guys, and they can't negotiate with other cl- other clubs. It's just you. Yeah, and the other teams can give those players offer sheets, basically like send them it's a contract. Very rare. It's rare that teams do that because you don't want to kind of screw the pooch moving forward and someone to do that to yourself. But that is a legit option if Robert Thomas is an elite centerman and he's still out there. But again, that's a rarity. So you're looking at, yes, those are your property. And again, that's Doug Armstrong kind of playing the uh, the the arm of the law or so to speak to where, yeah, you were incredible for us, but we're going to do what's right for the franchise moving forward. And I think that's I think right now, Ivan Barbashev is going to be the more expensive player over a Thomas or a Cairo. Oh, I don't agree with that. The only reason I say that is because Barbashev did that bridge deal already. Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyrou are coming off of those offer sheets where they're getting into that bridge deal territory. Yeah. Barbashev, granted, he's not he's not going to command a, a four or five six million dollar per year contract, but he is going to look at something that takes him to free agency or unrestricted free agency, and I think he's going to ask for a little bit more. As a fourth line player, I'd be surprised if he gets more than a couple of million dollars. He though. could be a third line player though, mm-hmm. and you're you you're viewed as a fourth line player, but you can be. Basically, it's how. It's how how much of an asset you are to your team. And Ivan Barbashev does have that upper hand of saying, like, hey, without me, you guys have struggled. Yeah, he just doesn't have any leverage. No, he he's a restricted free agent. I, so. I understand <laughs> that. There's yes. not a whole lot of leverage there. Hey, right. I think worst case scenario, he's kind of like a Vince Dunn situation where you end up giving him a couple of million dollars. He stays. Then after next year, mm-hmm. that's when he could potentially become more expensive. But yeah, I think you've got at least one more year with him before that becomes too, too worrisome for you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it. We'll play a game of bet it or forget it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
5780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Bet It or Forget It coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Bruce Boudreaux is going to join the show. Former NHL coach, current NHL network analyst, going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes or so to talk about the Blues' big win last night. But let's start with Bet It or Forget It. Bet It or Forget It, Alex Ferrario. It is officially time for the two of us to pool our money together to put a bet down on the Blues on the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook app after we've used the promo code 101 at 18 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup. Bet it or forget it, Alex Ferrario. Bet it. Bet it right now because you were never going to get better numbers than this. I think of the guy who won the, the money two years ago who Blues, worst team in the NHL, put all of the money down on them to win the cup and he struck gold. Now, that's not going to happen here because it's 18 to 1 rather than like what? Like what was like 90 to 1 or like, like 55 to 1. Yeah, it was ridiculous point. at the time. But as this season progresses and look, there's going to be a lull at some point for this team. They're going to hit a losing streak. I'm very aware of that. I'm not the ultimate optimist. But you're never going to get better odds on this team right now than what they're sitting at with 18 to 1. It was 20 to 1 last night. We should have put money down at the time. But no, I'm betting this BK because even if this team doesn't win the Stanley Cup, these odds are about as best as it's going to get for the Blues. And I'm very high on what this team can do this season moving forward. I didn't get that vibe from you. I'm very surprised to I, hear that. I don't know how Friday. anybody would get that vibe from me. I'm surprised the Blues are where they are still in the odds. Because the Avalanche right now are six and a half to one. The Golden Knights are at eight and a half to one. Those are the top two teams in the West right now. The Avalanche and the Knights, six and a half and eight and a half to one. The Blues are more than double those odds at eight. 18 to 1. They are tied right now with the Pittsburgh Penguins, who I haven't seen anybody picking to win the cup. They are behind the Carolina Hurricanes, who again, I haven't seen anybody picking to win the cup. I've at least seen people that say the Blues are a legitimate cup contender. Well, and by the way, Pittsburgh just just got their asses kicked 6 to 3 by Philly last night, so and it's one game. Let's keep that in mind. God, I hate that phrase. It, it, it is one game. But the Blues looked awesome, and they showed you everything that you needed to see. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, the Blues already dropped to 16-1 to on Bovada. That is why you bet over on the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook app, where you can get the better odds on the Blues at 18-1. to That's what I'm putting on. I, I don't know if I'm going to do it tonight, tomorrow night, Friday night. I'm going to do it this weekend at a very minimum. We're doing it now, because otherwise, when they win tomorrow, when I said win, they win tomorrow, it's going to go down even more. It, it, we need to put some money down. You're damn right, right. We, we do be quickly at 18 to 1. That is that is too good at this point to be able to pass up. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. All right. Bet it or forget it. Yadier Molina is back with the Cardinals next season for Ario because earlier today, we had the great pleasure to be joined by Buster Olney. And here's what he had to say about the comments that were published earlier today in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He is as, as stubborn as any person that I've met since I've covered baseball. And if there's going to be someone who's going to say, either you give me the numbers I want or I'm going home, I take that ser- more seriously than I, you know, coming from him than I would a lot of other teams. And if you missed the comments, this was posted on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. Quote, if God wants me to come back, then I will come back. And if not, I will retire happy with my head held high. Better to forget it, Ferrario. You will see Yadier Molina back with the Cardinals next season. I'm forgetting it. And I think Buster only just made me even more confident in that, that statement because Yadier is very, very confident and puts a lot of trust into himself. And look, if he feels like 
he is not being respected by a Cardinals team that he has given everything to in terms of financial respect, he's going to walk. And it doesn't matter if he's got to walk into free agency and not be signed or if he's got to walk into retirement, he's going to walk. And as Buster said, Yachty is stubborn. Part of me wonders if John Moselak and company are stubborn as well. Going into this, where they know it's a transition, they know they have the NL Central by the throat. Do we need them? Yes, we do need them. Can we survive without them? We'll find out. And I think the Cardinals are going to be just as stubborn as Yachty. So, yeah, I'm going to say I'm forgetting this. I think he walks. I'm betting it. I think he's back. And, in fact, I think that this comment, if I'm a Cardinals fan makes me more confident that he's back even if it feels bad right now because this tells me the offers are not up to what he was expecting they are not where he where he wants them to be this is a last ditch effort this is his only leverage that he has he doesn't have any leverage on the cardinals right now because nobody else is offering him what he hoped that they would so his leverage is i'll just withhold my services i will not come play for you this year right that's the only thing he can do Unless you pay me what I believe that I am worth, I'm not playing. And I know nobody else is willing to do it, but you should be. Because I'm Yadi Molina and you're the Cardinals and this is supposed to be a legacy deal that you're willing to give me, right? I don't think they're going to do it. And I think in the end, Yadi's going to say, it's my only shot. It's my only chance. I've got one team to be able to play for this year. They are offering me the most money, even if it's not up to my standards. And I think Yadier Molina at some point between now and the start of spring training will come to a come to Jesus moment where he decides I just want to play baseball. And I think it'll be here in St. Louis. If I'm going to hop on the other side of this fence, which I don't normally do, if he signs, it's going to be middle of the season because the Cardinals are going to say, no, you know what, Yadi, we're good. We're going to go without you. And it doesn't work. And they say, OK, we need Yadi. And come May, they say, Yadi, we need you, buddy. Come back, please. And it's that like it's that Rocky Balboa out of retirement moment where it's like, that's right. I'm back, baby. And then he helps the Cardinals out. So that would be my only way. But I'm still going to say forget it. Better to forget it. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service tax line. Better to forget it, Alex. Urban Meyer will make the playoffs with the Jacksonville Jaguars before he leaves Jacksonville. (laughs) Urban Meyer, while the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, will make the playoffs. Because if you missed the report earlier today, this is happening. Urban Meyer is going to be the next coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Do you think he will make the playoffs with them, Ferrario? So I'm looking at that division um, with the AFC, and you got Tennessee, Houston, and Indy. I think we all can agree Indy is in very good position to continue to thrive. We all know with the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, which I fully expect them to do. And look, whatever happens with the Houston Texans, if Deshaun's gone, I'm not going to be concerned about it. So I'm I'm going to forget this one. I'm not sold on the Urban Meyer NFL train yet. And I know a lot of people are saying, what are you talking about? He's one of the best college football coaches in history, but he hasn't done it at the NFL level. And he's coming to basically a ish show in Jacksonville. Yes, you have the first overall pick. Yes, you have the Trevor Lawrence train if you want to get on that hype side. But you also have a defense that was completely blown up over the last three years that needs a complete faceover or makeover. And the offense still has some questions. They got James Robinson. They got a receiving core. I'm just not sold on this. So, no, I'm uh, I'm going to forget this one on Urban Meyer. Don't bet I'm it. so conflicted on this, man. I think Urban Meyer is a really, really good coach. And I do think he can work in the NFL. I'm not as worried. Like, there are certain college. Dabo would be a disaster, an absolute disaster in the NFL. I think a guy like um, P. 
P.J. Fleck would not go over well in the NFL. His shtick, it's great for 18 to 22-year-olds that are there for four years. Mm-hmm. I do not think that works with guys that are make, that are your age that are making $30 million a year. Don't think that's going to work with them. I think Urban can work in the NFL. My question is how long is he willing to sustain with the losing? Because they're going to be doing a lot of it next year. That's a team that's ripe to go 5-11, and 11, despite the fact that they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. They, they just don't have the roster talent to yeah. be able to be a winning organization next year. And Urban has left at the first sign of adversity every time. When Florida started going through some tough times in terms of the off-field stuff, Florida's, he's gone. When Ohio State had some off-field stuff that he is in part responsible for, gone leaves at the first sign of it is that going to happen again in the nfl is he even going to be there three years from now i think there are open questions about that and whether or not all of the stuff that you hear about his health which is apparently brought on to by some anxiety is that going to be there stress and anxiety bring that on for him i i'm worried about that i will go ahead and bet it i'm doing so very hesitantly, but I think that he is able to get that team to the playoffs because I think he's a really good coach and I'm a believer in Trevor Lawrence. So I'll bet it. My question is, is he going to be there three years from now? Because I think that's how long it's going to take. I really like this text here. Comfort service text line 65780. Staying under the salary cap and recruiting are two very different things. And that's the part that I'm interested. Irvin Meyer has crushed it because of the recruiting side. You can't recruit in free agency. And if you don't have the salary cap flexibility that other teams do, I don't know how you get players there. Right now they've got it. They're going to need to keep that. They've got Trent Baalke, who's kind of running things as the GM there. He was the guy that was in charge of the 49er. They went on that run. I think he's a pretty good... Um, I think he's a pretty good front office guy. I'll be interested to see what this means for him. I don't know how much control Urban Meyer is going to have, but if he has too much of it, that could definitely be a problem. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, let's continue talking about the Blues. Opening night, huge win over on NBC Sportsnet and right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. We're going to talk with former NHL head coach Bruce Boudreaux when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are hoping to still be joined by Bruce Boudreaux, a former NHL head coach, current NHL network analyst. Momentarily, you can watch him on NHL tonight throughout the season. Plus, NHL Network's live games will begin with Islanders versus Rangers tonight at 6 o'clock. Hoping to be joined by him shortly. But right now, let's continue reacting to what we saw last night, Ferrario, because... There was, I'm going to go ahead and put this out there on the front end disclaimer. There was a, a million different things to be very excited about. Yeah. And we've talked about all of them throughout the day. If you missed any of it, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app is the podcast page. It's all brought to you by I Promise. There was one thing that I was a little disappointed in, and I do think it is okay to bring up the disappointments even in a win. I didn't see anything last night that was different about Justin Falk than what I saw from him a year ago. Yeah. He looked like the same player to me. He wasn't particularly fast. He wasn't a guy that was making significant plays on the ice. I I didn't notice a guy that had clearly elevated his game from where it was a year ago. And it's one game. I hope that changes on Friday night, and it very well could. It might just be a bad matchup for him. The Avalanche are very fast. Yeah. 
But for me last night watching that, that was probably the one, it might have been the only disappointing thing for me. Yeah, me too. I think Justin Falk got caught in his own zone a couple of times. I think Justin Falk also was out there. Uh, The transition for his game was very good, I thought, but defensively, he definitely got caught off guard a little bit, and he was matched up against that McKinnon line. So it'll be interesting to see how he progresses. It's a tough matchup, and hopefully he's able to rebound from that, and he will have an opportunity to do so tomorrow night. Blues versus Avalanche will be on 101 ESPN with pregame coverage beginning at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Let's go now out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by former NHL head coach, current NHL network analyst. He is Bruce Boudreaux joining us here on the show. You can check him out on NHL tonight throughout the season. NHL Network's live games begin tonight. Islanders versus Rangers at 6 o'clock. Bruce, appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you on. So let's start with what you saw. What was your reaction to the Blues last night? The big win on opening night against the Avalanche. You know what? It didn't uh, surprise me. I've played uh, coached against the St. Louis teams for quite a long time now. And and when they're all playing their game like they were last night, they're a difficult team to uh, to play against and they're a difficult team to beat. And and to me, it all comes down when it's the St. Louis to the goaltending. If the goaltending is sharp, they'll find ways to win. They play hard. They play in your face. There's no shifts off. And uh, that's what last night seemed to me like. Bruce, I want to ask you about the goaltending in just a bit, but let me ask you about Craig Berube because you have coached against him a couple of times. Last year, you were coaching for the Minnesota Wild against Craig Berube. We all know in St. Louis what he does so well behind that bench and what he does in the locker room. But from another coach's perspective, what is it that makes Craig Berube so good at what he does? Well, you know what? He never seems to get overly excited. He's, uh, I'm sure he identifies with the players very well. Like, I mean, when he played, he was not a tremendously skilled player, but I was scared stiff of him when I played <laughs> against him. But, I mean, uh, so, I mean, he commands respect right away, and I think he treats he treats the players with respect. So when you do those things, uh, you, have, you have success. I remember when he was an assistant in Philly, you know, uh, uh, people talked about him as being a very cerebral, very smart, <laughs> cerebral uh, guy, and when you pl- only played against him, you wouldn't have thought that. But over time, coaching against him and getting to know him, I actually uh, interviewed him um, for the assistant job in Anaheim uh, and got to know him a little bit. So, I mean, he's uh, he's he knows how to push the right buttons, and you didn't see him get overly excited when they didn't succeed last year, and but you know that he's burning uh, deep inside to have a successful year this year. And I think the players have read off that too. Bruce Boudreaux is joining us here on the show on 101 ESPN. Bruce, I did want to ask you about one of the young guys for the Blues that really stood out last night. And I'm talking about Robert Thomas, the young center for the Blues, who's now getting some top six forward minutes. A little bit of a line change for him last night. Oscar Sundquist on the right wing instead of Mike Hoffman. We're hoping to be able to watch Mike Hoffman tomorrow night in the game. But you've watched Thomas now for a couple of years in the NHL. What have you seen from his game from when he entered the league to where he is today? And as a as an opposing coach, what is it about his game that you think potentially could make him special? Well, you know, when, when he came into the league, um, you know, we, we'd sit there and we'd look at the lineup. We didn't know. We know he was a first-round pick, and we knew he had skill. And he'd play in the fourth line, and uh, every now and again he'd do something really special, but it wasn't consistent. 
And last year it was a little bit more consistent. And now that he's good, this is his third year. And we know he's a good player. And and uh, it's not surprising when you start in the NHL, you start on the fourth line sometimes when you're when you're a really good team like St. Louis is. And now he's moved up. And I expect him and, and everybody, when they're doing all the, the talking about St. Louis, they're talking about Robert Thomas is, is like, I mean, if he has the year that they think he can have, then, St. Louis can take that next step again, and uh, uh, I, you know, I think he's gonna. I think he's ready to step out, play a top six role. Um, he's gonna have goal scorers on his wings, and he can dangle. So I mean, uh, all those things add up to. Uh, somebody being successful in my books. Bruce, you've had a lot of kind of young players in the NHL, your time with the Washington Capitals, your time most recently with the Minnesota Wild. As a coach, how do you how do you grasp that confidence from a player to let them know that, look, the coaching staff is behind you and go out there and just perform because we've seen that with Robert Thomas and we're seeing that currently with Jordan Cairo. Well, I, I just think it's it's the way you communicate with the players and you, you get them to trust you and you don't come down hard, you know, you, you come down hard when you have to. But, I mean, you, you've got to, like, as a coach, I have to find out 23 uh, different personalities, and I have to treat those guys according to their personality. For example, uh, when I had Mike Green, uh, Mike Green was a guy that I remember early on that if I came down and he was not doing what he's supposed to do and I yelled at him on the bench or screamed at him, I was getting nothing out of him. <laughs> but so I, I realized that I had to go up to him, talk to him, say, hey, Mike, I need you tonight. You're one of the best we have. Let's uh, let's get things in order. And all of a sudden, it'd be like, okay, Dad, okay, Coach, uh, I'll, I'll get her going. And it, that's the way you treat him. Some guys you have to yell at and you scream at. But if you're, if you're a good coach and you get to – to know these guys personally and you know which buttons to push to make them better and and identify with a 20-year-old as well as a 35-year-old. One of those guys that it feels like we've been able to see Craig Berube really kind of connect with is Jordan Bennington, and he was great last night. He had some struggles in the bubble, but it looked last night like he was kind of back to his game. Bruce, for, for Bennington, uh, from your perspective, what do the Blues need to see from him this year? What it, What is the key for him to be able to get back to the guy that he was during that cup run and less of what we saw in the bubble from Bennington? I just think you need consistency. Like, I mean, I think it's a big year for Jordan. I mean, uh, let's face it, he, he went from being uh, – quite frankly, a backup in the American League and and flukily getting a chance in St. Louis to being the star and uh, getting a well-deserved contract. But And then he had the little hiccup last year, and so now it's time to get back to that the, the way he was two years ago and, and, and to prove consistency for the uh, not only for himself but for the team and if he does that then all of a sudden he'll he'll be in a groove forever but I mean I I think uh, last night's game was a a real good start for him to gain his confidence especially coming out of the bubble where he didn't have success and last night you play against uh, the team that the a lot of prognosticators are picking to to win the Stanley Cup and you come in and you and you shut them down pretty good Uh, uh, that's good good vote for his confidence and I sh- I'm sure he's going to be playing tomorrow night against the same team it'll be it, that'll be the big challenge because I think 
Colorado will be a better team tomorrow than they were last night. Bruce, what are the challenges going to be for, for a hockey team this season in this new season? I mean, you got 56 games in 116 days. The Blues just played last night a very heavy game against Colorado, and you're suiting up again tomorrow night to get right back on the ice in the same place. What are the challenges going to be from, from a coaching staff and from a player's perspective for a season unlike any other? Well, I, you know, we just, uh, in 213, I think we did the same thing with the 48 game schedule. I mean, uh, I think because you, you're playing, uh, a schedule heavy game in, uh, in such a short period of time, practices a lot of times can't be as long, can't be as, um, uh, physical as, as sometimes you would like. I mean, I think most teams are going to keep practices to 30 minutes focus on one thing that they want to accomplish during the practice and get off because we want to keep these guys fresh. I mean, you look at some teams last night. I looked at Connor McDavid played almost 27 minutes last night in Edmonton. And, I mean, if he's going to play 27 minutes in the, in a game here, then you, you're going to have to uh, not make these guys practice at all or they'll get burnt out completely. And, and, you know, the good thing about St. Louis is they've got such good balance that they don't have to – to play guys that that many minutes, even though Ryan O'Reilly will take a lot of face-offs and in, in D-zone uh, stuff as, as well as O-zone stuff, but I mean, um, so that that's what I what I'm thinking is the big challenge for the coaches: keep things, keep it fresh, keep things, uh, uh, try to make it as new as possible uh, all the time, and and uh, and don't wear these guys out because they're going to be especially a team like St. Louis they play a big physical game if you know it's like the the Leafs don't play Toronto doesn't play a game like that so I mean uh, but uh, St. Louis is a heavy team and uh, they play the way I love the love (laughs) to watch hockey boys so it's uh, I hope they have success Bruce who's the guy on the blues that you enjoy watching the most um you know what uh, uh i've enjoyed watching a, a lot of them it's it's hard for me to pinpoint it i mean tarasenko he beat me so many times uh <laughs> that i don't even want to i don't even want to count it but uh, i mean I, I love the ryan o'reilly's of the of the the world because you know what i mean people say hey listen you know he's not the greatest skater he doesn't do this he doesn't do that but he does everything hard and everything well and those are the guys i know they're the stars but i mean and we could go through the lineup and i could talk about a lot of individuals that way but he's the kind of guy that i think every coach wants um he's the guy that that uh you know like i mean just stirs the stick and and when they you know i'm only i don't know him personally but I mean, I would think that when things are going bad, he's going, put it on me, coach. I want it, and I'll uh, I'll go do it. And uh, those are, you know, St. Louis has a few of those guys, and that's so it makes them pretty good. He is Bruce Boudreau. You can check him out over on NHL Network. Former NHL coach now on NHL tonight throughout the season. Plus, NHL Network's live games will begin with Islanders versus Rangers tonight at six o'clock. You can catch all of the action over there. Bruce, sincerely appreciate the time today. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. All the best to you and the family, and enjoy this quick regular season. Yeah, um, I will. Uh, hopefully, I'll be back one day. So you never know. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, I'll enjoy. I'll enjoy every game and. Uh, we're all glad that hockey's back. Let's uh, let's keep it going. No doubt. We appreciate you hopping on with us today. We'll talk with you again soon. That, that is Bruce Boudreaux joining us here on the show. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 
Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to all of our guests today. Buster Olney was fantastic. Talked to him about the possibility of Trevor Story. We talked to him about uh-oh, Trevor Story. Andrew Benintendi. Oh baby, Yadier Molina. We're building that team. Jump on board, ribs. Lots oh, of good yeah. stuff from one Buster Olney. Check it out. 101ESPN.com. Also happy to be had, uh, joined earlier today by Joey Vitale and Bruce Boudreau. All of that. 101ESPN.com. The 101 ESPN app presented by I Promise. Crossing things over. You heard him already. Jamie Rivers in studio. What's good, man? No, not too much, boys. Uh, happy to report, you know, the Blues victory last night. Talk about that today. It's always way more fun to talk Blues hockey after a big win. We used to say the beer always tastes better after a win. <laughs> so, although I don't have beer yet in yeah. my cup, I may have had sure? some last night. I, we I sure? would hope at least one or two. I need okay. to channel down the optimism, though, apparently, BK. Rivs is not happy with me. Rivs is not <laughs> well, happy with the Ferrari energy that I bring. already designing the next Stanley Cup ring. I'm thinking about a tattoo. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> I'm thinking about a tattoo. He's permanently, look, at he's going to chain a lawn chair down on Market Street, so he's got his spot for the parade. Is it too much, Jamie? Do I need to Do I need to push back a little on this? I think so. And, okay. and I, I'm, I'm actually thinking of you okay. in this. Okay? I appreciate because this. Because just like we say in the hockey world, you don't want to get too high or too low. Yeah, you right? want the Craig so Ruby mindset. My fear with you is you've you're riding so high right now that if for some reason they're, the Blues lose, they're going to lose Friday, and it, like and they're going to be okay. They're going to be, be okay. Depressed. They're going to lose Friday, and Ferrario is going to come in on Monday, and he's going to say, "BK, I was so wrong. I was so everything's wrong. No, I, I will never everything admit. that went correct. Everything I said. We don't have hollow notes." Wow, well, we we have part one of that, maybe, maybe part one of that. Robert Thomas looks pretty, pretty good. damn good last night. You just night. gotta wait to see what oh, Hoffman I was thinking. Does. Sunquist is Sonny our new Holly. I mean, he's got two goals. Hey, did you see that first goal? I mean, he scored while he's falling down and then celebrates. Why does he hurt himself every time that he scores? Because he's a man. He gets in front of everything. He plays so hard, and it's why we love him. God bless him for it, right? But God, I I was waiting for him to just crash into the boards. I was like, what? Why? Why does it have to happen every time? That's the way you do it. You know, he's the the Swedish version of like the RoboCop, right? You just just keep smashing the crap out of Oscar Sundqvist, and he just keeps getting up. And, and moving forward. Don't you love I guys love like it. that on the bench, though? Like as Everybody a loves you it. You love that guy. Look at he goes out in the first period. He, he lost face off, which is never great. Yeah. And he busts out there and blocks a shot. And he gets it right in the tweener area, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Where there's no padding from the skate. And the shin pad doesn't go down far enough. It literally, it sends a shot of pain right up your leg, and you lose feeling right in your foot. You usually that, fall immediately. Don't you feel like a player? And you're like, how the hell did it hit that small spot? Like, my, come on now. My equipment guys, I used to come to them once every couple weeks. Hey, we need to add a piece of plastic <laughs> over here. The, you should see my gear. I still have the same gear. It looks like Frankenstein <laughs> because there's padding and plastic and things that have been added throughout the years. And, heck, I even got to the point on the inside of my shin pads, I had, like, those goalie blockers put in with the hard plastic because you'd drop down to one knee and that damn shot would find its way off the inside of the knee. Bone bruise all of a sudden and it's there for three weeks. And you're hobbling around. Who was it last night that got hit? dance at the bar. I think it was like right in... Oh, you couldn't do that before (laughs) the shot too, though. (laughs) I think think it was Krug, if I'm not mistaken. He took a shot right off of the leg and on the broadcast, they were like, ooh, that's going to leave a mark. He's going to feel that one in the morning. I... 
I would legitimately retire from hockey <laughs> in, in that exact <laughs> moment. Life. I would be bedridden for the next six months if that happened to me. It sucks. I, I mean, the last few years whew. of my career after every ice time, and it wasn't like to get the lactic acid out of the muscle. I'd be in the ice tub. Up to my like neck, dipped in there like maintenance day. That's what it was. We're gonna put you in until everything goes numb, and then at least I'll feel good for like five or six minutes following. You that. need to be careful about that in the KHL though. They'll they'll push the head under until the bubble stop if you, gotta, you don't be careful. The KHL, you got to be careful when they're offering you vitamins. <laughs> All of a sudden, you start to go. <laughs> or they offer. Or they offer. <laughs> Jamie, what's coming up today on the past that? I feel hell? like that's the only way this conversation oh can come to an God. end. Well, we're going to talk a big blues victory. We're not like Alex. We're not ordering rings just yet, but we're pretty pumped up about it. We've got Robert Thomas coming on All today. Right. Yeah, we're going to talk about how I uh, basically taught him how to pass the puck the way he does. Couldn't get is- Brett Hole. Holly's next week when we have Sunquist on. We're going to break it down. Yeah, yeah. Joke all you want, but as soon as soon as both of you agree, about, oh my god, these two look good. I'm gonna. Ooh. <laughs> Was that horse noise you made? <laughs> there it is. What else today, Jamie? Uh, we're going to talk about Yachty. Obviously, that's big news. And Urban Meyer looks like he's going to be the CEO of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and a lot more, guys. But b- the biggest thing we're going to break down the Blues' big victory. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow. At 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I promise.